It don't matter what I try I just can't win and I don't know why There's a fork in every road I pick the wrong one and then I go American loser, yes I am Disenfranchised from everything well, I fall up and I fall down American loser, the day I was born Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of American Loser. It is the podcast that puts the spotlight firmly on second place. Where are we, Dad? We're in Eatontown at a shared universe, Eatontown, New Jersey. Uh, yes, Eatontown, New Jersey, Shared Universe Podcast Studio, uh, the best podcast studio in all of Eatontown, if you ask me. Absolutely. Um, but World famous in Eatontown. It's the truth. We just missed their Christmas party, though, so... Sadly. That's how we know we're taking off right now. We're actually big-timing our own studio. Um, <laughs> but we could have hung out with uh, who else other than behind the ones and twos, the big kahuna. How are you, pal? Whoa, what's up? How you doing? <laughs> how you doing, man? If you didn't check out Kahuna's Christmas song he put out, what's the name of the track again? I already forgot it. Oh, Where Are You, Santa Claus. Okay, fantastic. And if you're into Christmas music or you need to get into the uh, the season, I recommend it. Our boy's talented. He, right? is, he does he good is. work. <laughs> Thank Absolutely. you. So. We're, it's, my, it's now my second most popular song on Spotify. I think it's about to hit a thousand. And your most popular song was, if I recall, um, uh, Alanis Morissette's Jagged Little Pill album. Is oh, that yeah. Correct? <laughs> yeah, Kahuna's actually the ghostwriter for Alanis Morissette. That's true, guys. It's confirmed. It's, <laughs> it's, it's just fact. Because you got one hand in your pocket and the other one's giving a high five. <laughs> so. Um, speaking of high fives, though, man, uh, I, I love this guy. I actually, I genuinely love our guest today. He's a great guy. I met him doing uh, open mics down in Asbury Park, New Jersey. And then um, for some reason, he will not take the next step into chasing this dumb career we call comedy. All right. But one of my favorite comics, uh, really a very funny guy and an extremely knowledgeable guy on the topic we're going to talk about today. Jack Steiger, how are you, pal? What, pray tell, is the next step that I'm not taking? It's uh, <laughs> We were having a conversation with Ming earlier about a project we're working on where I have a layup right now that we can potentially link up. So that you got to build a bridge to the next thing. Uh -huh. So it's, uh, it's you take this dumb, fun thing that we do and then you find a way to get money for it. So you've gotten paid for comedy before. I know that. Oh much. yeah, yeah. yeah. So just you got to do that all the time. So it's uh, it's building relations. It's it's doing whatever uh, Andy Lawson is not doing. All right. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, he, what he's doing is he's trying to burn bridges. Like, and I'm inadvertently doing it. That's uh, <laughs> but no, and Andy, it's all part of his design. Andy, yeah. uh, Andy Lawson, one of my favorite comics. He was by Andy Highroller, so it's uh, it's always a weird thing to have to explain that. But uh, yeah. very funny guy. He was going to be here today, and then because um, originally I wanted to have both you guys on the show because you two guys are two of my favorites from the the Jersey Shore scene. Mm -hmm. And uh, unfortunately, uh, actually maybe fortunately, Andy had such respect for the love that you have for today's loser that uh, he actually bowed out of the project altogether. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, I think I have this like kind of weird. Uh, autistic fixation with Lovecraft. Uh, <laughs> Damn it, he gave it away. Yeah. <laughs> We're building this whole thing. I mean, Andy would have been apropos uh, as a, as a guest as well, because I think the thing that uh, Lovecraft, Andy, and I share is that we're, we're kind of reclu anti-social recluses. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so it, it would have been somewhat appropriate for him to be here, but uh, I, I go a long way with Lovecraft. 
I've known about him for a long time. And We're diving in today, brother. Yeah. I'm happy you're here. So, yeah, for those who haven't caught on yet, today's loser is Alec Baldwin. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, not for nothing, because I, I just want to bridge the gap here for people who maybe have never heard of this guy before. Obviously, if you're listening, the title of the episode is going to have the loser's name in it. However, that being said, uh, Kahuna, you're a fan of movies, as I recall, right? Absolutely. So, if you're a fan of motion movies. Motion pictures. <laughs> moving picture shows. The talkies. The talkies. <laughs> those sound motion pictures. And historically, though, though. The not-so-talkies, the silent. <laughs> the silent films. <laughs> also true. I'm a fan of the moving picture shows. Do you think um, Do you think the guys over at, uh, you know, the comic book show, uh, I'm sorry, Jay and Silent Bob's Secret Stash, do you think they know anything about Batman? Uh, I'd have to double-check, Do you but think, I don't think so. Have you think they've maybe seen uh, maybe John Carpenter's The Thing? Oh, of course. Or uh, perhaps a, uh, a movie made by uh, any one of the books written by a guy by the name of Stephen King? Oh, yes. Last one. What about the Ghostbusters? <laughs> yeah. What do you think? All of these things may appear to have nothing in common, yet all are heavily influenced by the works of a one weird little recluse, as Jack stated, <laughs> from uh, New England, a guy by the name of H.P. Uh, Lovecraft. Now, uh, I can tell you right away, as a man with initials, uh, we're all seriously mentally ill. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> K.P., H.P., it's a problem. Okay. C.C. That's... <laughs> That poor man. Yeah. Um, now, not for nothing, uh, just given the, the brief background here, because you're obsessed with the guy, right? That's pretty much you told me. I wouldn't say that I'm obsessed with him, um, but I, I think I was obsessed with the work for a period of time. Like when I, I learned about him many years ago, like back in like 2009, before I even read a single bit of his work, I just found the idea, his, his the subject matter of his work is very, very fat, was very fascinating to me. Because basically, it was he was an er, like a writer from the early 1900s, uh, science fiction horror. But his his it was this weird. I've never really seen this kind of weird blend of like science fiction and like magic. Like, and it was this. It just really resonated with me. And the idea of these like vast gargantuan aliens that uh, people on Earth interpreted as gods, and that they looked so utterly foreign to us, and that I really liked his conception of alien life much more than like the the, the common trope of like the, the greys, the tall, bald, skinless things. Like I didn't like those because even as a kid when I was young, I was like, there's no way aliens, if they evolved on a different planet, they wouldn't look like that. And like, Lovecraft, yeah, we made a mistake, guys. Jack doesn't know a goddamn thing about this guy. Keep going, brother. Keep going. You got but, me. Yeah. So he wrote, he, he wrote about these aliens that were the, the they, he depicted them in this way that they looked so utterly foreign. They were absolutely not borrowing from any terrestrial biology at all. And that, to me... Uh, I've heard my shop yeah. teacher father. Guy's fucking yeah. out of his shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. There you go. Because so, you, you have the literature part of it, and then you got to talk. You realize you're talking to just a, a dumb Navy veteran and uh, his uh, yeah. shop teacher father. Yeah. So that's you're, yeah. You guys... Are far, far, far and away ahead of what I'm at right now. I mean, because yeah. I just say that this literary stuff is. When I first started doing some of the research on this guy, I'm like, oh man, this I'm definitely out of my league with See, this like, guy. See, like I'm, I'm sitting back here enjoying it because it's like at the same time, you know the name H.P. Lovecraft, and you kind of yeah. understand the themes of his work and all that stuff, but you never really delve into like exactly what makes it so cool. Yeah, that's where we so got was, a little bit of everything. Yeah, today, yeah. he definitely casts a bigger shadow than himself. Even his work, like, because it's like it, I was aware of his work and explored a lot of the worlds of that he created before I actually read any of his work. And I w I'm not super impressed with his work. Like, he, he actually, 
his reputation is not that of a very good writer. And but the thing about but his ideas, his yeah, people have. I, there are a lot of people, a lot of creators who have done a lot of better, much better things with his subject matter, his concepts. Yeah, yeah. Like he. Do you think actually, about in comedy though? Is that like um, how many times did we hear? Because not for nothing, there were people doing redneck jokes forever, and then yeah. Foxworthy comes up with the formula. For you might be a redneck, yeah. And then all of a sudden, everybody there. Literally, careers have been launched off of that. You're still seeing it today. There's people that are heavily influenced by him on a concept he came up with in the '80s. So not for nothing, Lovecraft develops this bizarre, weird style. Which we're going to talk about what made him see that. Maybe he was crazy. Maybe he was. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of weird shit with him too. But real yeah. quick, just off the top of uh, my head here, Jack, what what's the first time you recall hearing about him? Because I can tell you mine, and it's it's weird. I don't remember the first time. I remember it was back when I was a teenager in Australia, and it, it, I don't. I, I just remember going down like a like a Wikipedia hole of just like of I think it was like Cthulhu. There's, there's the name. That's a big yeah. name for the rest of the day. Right? Yeah. What'd you call it, Dad, when we were doing the research? Well, this, I was trying, but Cthulhu <laughs> is... Catula fella here. Yeah. Right? Catula? Again, <laughs> again, your shop teacher, yeah. Dad, uh, we weren't so much on the literary, uh, you know. <laughs> You're, you're graded more on your attitude and uh, uh, effort than uh, your literary genius. Also true. But uh, <laughs> let's keep going, bud. We keep interrupting. I apologize. Yeah, well, it was Cthulhu, I think, was probably the first thing I, I, I learned about, uh, which is the titular entity from The Call of Cthulhu, probably Lovecraft's most famous work. And uh, I learned about that, and it's like he, Cthulhu is like this one of those aforementioned gargantuan alien gods. And I just, as a you know, as a kid, I was fascinated by. You know, I loved the Godzilla films, and Cthulhu seemed to be like almost kind of borrowing from that kind of vocabulary of like just a, a, a gigantic monster coming out of the sea. So that you know, even definitely, though, yeah. And I was a teenager, and it kind of was a little bit, I guess, somewhat nostalgic, but it was very different. And just this, and it, I think it was through that that I kind of got into the whole Lovecraft slash Cthulhu mythos. Well, he's yeah. considered like the master of American horror. And uh, one of his nicknames I heard was uh, a Titan of Terror, which I thought was a pretty good one. <laughs> yeah, no, he definitely uh, has is widely considered probably the heir apparent to Edgar Allan Poe. Hell yeah, that, yeah. that comes right. in big too. Which, he was uh, influenced by, by Poe as, and, as well. Not for nothing, Kahuna. What do you know about, uh, uh, what would be the link you think between H.P. Lovecraft and Edgar Allan Poe on maybe this here particular podcast? Oh, mm. In level of obsession, maybe that you both have over it—that <laughs> that they're both American losers. That's oh, that's yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it's very interesting. Yeah, Lovecraft. Like when you went, like doing this podcast, I I it didn't take me long to come up with this guy's the loser because there really is a definite. There was a very grim shadow that kind of hung over his life, and he definitely his entire life. Yeah, yeah, he did not really know happiness for any long period in his life. Yeah, kind of a tragic figure in a lot of ways. Yeah. Very much so. That's why, uh, again, the show is called American Loser, so it's not going to go good for him. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> right, yeah. right. But uh, not for just a quick biography here to give people the uh, the historical background of the guy, because I'm so excited because Jack is passionate about this. And that's why when we have good guests who understand the show and listen, then they add to the show significantly. That's why my mm -hmm. family members have always been killers on the show. That's uh -huh. why some of my really close friends have been great. And that's why Ken Krantz is not allowed on the show. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, a quick little Google search will show you that if H.P. Uh, wanted to creep himself out uh, as a child, all he had to do was look in the mirror. 
Um, not a handsome boy, okay? Uh, he, definitely. He, as a little kid, he was somewhat normal looking, but as time went on, he kind of had this like elongated horse-like face. Doom and, and gloom. Uh, yeah. When he looks like young, um, what was it? Uh, He's what? got a Pennywise head. <laughs> he kind of looks like uh, a, 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 what would you, a, a dried out Andri- Adrian Brody. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, that's a winner. Yeah. <laughs> Just like they've begun the mummification process of Adrian Brody. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, uh, here's a name for you, too. I'm Kevin Patrick Burke, uh, and this fellow is born Howard Phillips Lovecraft in yeah. Providence, Rhode Island, mm-hmm. uh, August 20th, 19, I'm sorry, 1890. 18. I always screw yeah. up this thing. But uh, the uh, anxiety-ridden, occasionally psychotic, and altogether tragic man would, as Jack said, become uh, well-known around the world after his death as yeah. the successor to Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah. Uh, and that's not just because he, you know, he didn't marry a cousin or nothing like Poe. You know, that's kind of a... Yeah. <laughs> Although there is inbreeding in his... Uh, uh, there is There were rumors, at least, of Suspected, inbreeding right? in his uh, mother's... On his mother's side. Because right. they came from, like, a, an aristocratic family with that traced themselves back to, like, England, and they fancied themselves very high-born, you know. Well, there is... It, well, there's he, that weird he, thing. He maintained that uh, attitude, if you will, throughout well, yeah. his life, too. Oh, for sure, yeah. He's... Uh, He's better than everybody else. He was a Targaryen, yeah. <laughs> That's right. There you go. Yeah, 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 yeah. He definitely has some... Well, we'll get to that, but... Well, that's a weird one, too, because I um, I tend to... Uh, my greatest fear in life is... Because uh, I'm adopted. That's why I'm not as handsome as my father. Uh-huh. But uh, my greatest fear in life is that I'm going to... This is the greatest prank a girl has ever played on me. We were at a bar after a show, and um, I showed her uh, a photo of... Uh, my biological father because it just came up in a conversation mm-hmm. and I showed it to her and she goes oh my god that's my uncle and I shit myself because I was sitting <laughs> and then she just goes she goes I'm just fucking with you <laughs> and I probably should have married that girl in hindsight but um, mm. anyway um, interesting stuff here as we're moving on because uh, our boy Howard Phillips had a big life okay um, he is born uh, he's the only son of Winfield and Sarah Lovecraft whose maiden name was Phillips correct Jack uh, yes okay her, yeah, yeah. Her, her mother's maiden name was Phillips. Yeah. Now, uh, Winfield was a traveling salesman, uh, also known as a road comic. And uh, <laughs> Sarah came from a financially well-off family due to her father's uh, business ventures. And he had possibly the greatest name I've ever heard in my life, Jack. What is what is the grandfather's name? Uh, Whipple Van Buren Phillips. That was the maternal grandfather. Yeah. Uh, can, Whipple, yeah. yeah. No, do we call that Whippy or uh, what's, his, <laughs> what's his nickname? Whip? Oh. Whippy? It, it's a tough one on that. It's certainly, it's certainly no big kahuna. There's nothing. It doesn't yeah. flow nicely. No, but, yeah. Uh, what, if, Whipple Van Buren doesn't flow? <laughs> I don't you know, know, man. When you look at a picture of him, though, you're like, yeah, Whipple's probably right. Now, um, at what point in his life does H.B. Lovecraft go off to form the, the cult of Gozer and then build that building <laughs> in New York? There you go. There you go. Hey, listen, you the brought in the keeper. Ghostbusters reference. The trailer for the third one just dropped. You you, you can't do that to me. It's, uh, yeah, <laughs> dude, it gets weirder, too, because you're going to, the reason why they say. Oh, there's going to be a yeah, jaw I'll, drop moment for Kahuna? There's a couple jaw drops today, but there are certainly a couple of um, weird things. We're going to get back into Ghostbusters towards the tail end here, mm-hmm. which I think is, is pretty awesome. Because mm-hmm. um, he creates, he's a depressed guy, you know what I mean, as we talk about. But you understand why, because if you had to make a recipe to create a horror writer, Losing your father at age three to an insane asylum due to untreated syphilis yeah. would probably be the base ingredient right. to build the rest of this terrible cake out of. And uh, the dad was away a lot because he was that traveling salesman. Mm-hmm. That, you know, there wasn't uh, 
a strong uh, bond on the home front kind of a thing. Dad was always away, and then finally Dad dies, and he's three years old, and (laughs) Dad dies of syphilis. You know. And uh, how do you get syphilis? Uh, Well, that's from putting it where it shouldn't be. Ah, okay. He's traveling. Oh, you mean fuck it? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm sorry. That was uh, crude of me. We're trying to be nice to the Sunquist family. They listen in the car together. So, (laughs) but. no, uh, certainly how you're going to make an H.P. Lovecraft, by his own accounts and well into his adulthood, Lovecraft said his father died of overworking and exhaustion. But he, he did die in an insane asylum, by the way. Yes. And to this day, nobody actually knows, and tell me if I'm wrong on this, uh, but Lovecraft would say that, and people didn't know if he was intentionally misleading them because he was ashamed of that, or if they genuinely didn't tell him that his dad went nuts. Right. So, yeah, they didn't know what, whether that was to protect himself or protect him as a kid, or that was just his defense mechanism to say that, well, Dad was overworked and overtaxed. Exactly, yeah. yeah. I mean, as we mentioned before, Lovecraft was very, uh, he, he, he had airs about him and wanted to posture as a lot of things, well, one, one being highborn. And I'm sure that he might have had an eye for his reputation, so he may, that I, I could very well see him lying about that. Oh, and I think a lot that. of that came from mom, too, that, you know, mom uh, was also putting on airs of being highborn kind of a thing. She was from the, you know, her her father had, had money. Old old Whippy, uh, <laughs> yeah. Whippy had some bucks, so, uh, you yeah, know, yeah. there was an attitude there on the home front. Oh, yeah. Plus, he was he was raised um, with uh, spinster aunts in the, in the same household, so... They all were putting on that same type of uh, yeah. an attitude. As Lamar Odom has to. proven to us, when you live in a, a house full of nothing but women, you can kind of drive a guy nuts. All right. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, he, uh, he does wind up, uh, Sarah and H.P. are then forced to move into the Phillips uh, household. So Whip, Whippy's house, if you right. will. Yeah. Uh, old, old Pappy Whippy. And, uh, <laughs> Grandpappy Whippy. Where H.P. Uh, lives with his grandmother, his mother, two aunts, and a beloved grandfather. I mean, uh, like we were saying here. Yeah, it's... so the, the grandfather, Whipple, was the only uh, male uh, figure, authority figure that he had in his life. Mm-hmm. And they, yeah. were, they were tight, right? Oh, what, Lovecraft didn't go out and hang out with his Little Rascal buddies? Because this kid looks like he was straight out of Little Rascals when he was a child. <laughs> I don't know if he had a childhood. That's The, the more that we're going to get into him, I think it's... It's, it's just kind of like born adulthood. Uh, essentially, yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, it's not a happy... No. It's a happy home to a degree, but only because they don't realize how eccentric their lives are. Is that fair to say? Mm. Well, he's very guarded, too, uh, in his upbringing. But the kid was also brilliant. I mean, I read uh, reports where... He was reading and writing at the age of three. Mm. So, I mean, the kid had some something uh, above his shoulders. Yeah, Lovecraft had, you know, he definitely had uh, and liked to maintain a status as an intellectual. And, um, however, he, he didn't actually complete his schooling. Like, he no. had a lot of, like, you know, as, as we'll get into, like, when Whipple died, he, you know, there were a few things that happened. First of all, there was the loss of, of his grandfather, as you mentioned uh, very astutely, he it, that was really, uh, in a way, his primary father figure. And then they, after that, they were evicted from the house. So, um, and as a result, shortly afterwards, apparently he had a nervous breakdown and he left school and uh, so he couldn't go to college. And he never really attained any kind of credentials and but he was you know very you know self-taught like he you know Whipple had a very vast library didn't have a degree but he could still do the amazing things. yeah but also he you know something that Lovecraft actually like he was not very good at math 
and he actually claimed hmm. this is actually Lovecraft actually said that he had too delicate a constitu a, a too delicate a constitution for mathematics, which is. <laughs> Well, that'll if, make anybody yeah. sick. Dude, if I had... <laughs> that won't get you out of gym class. <laughs> yeah. If I had that excuse right. back in the day, man, that would have been my go-to. Um, yeah. But apparently, as a kid, he was like, he published a magazine on his own on geology. What? Of all things. And yeah. astronomy as well, I believe. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I believe so. Well, mm. he starts off his career doing science, then gets into fiction, and then, in, in a weird way, almost not necessarily invents, but reinvents the genre of science fiction. So, kind of a wild thing with that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, I think some from from some I believe from his grandfather's influences, he got involved with some of the sciences and you're saying geology and and I know the study of the of the heavens, the, the astronomy and stuff. That he even had a a self-published little newsletter that uh, he would put out yeah. um on some of his some of his findings if you will. Yeah. And that whole thing about Getting out of school, in school, out of school—that wasn't just a one-time deal. That was. This reminds me of. His, uh, I'm yeah. sorry. This reminds me of when I had a, a paper for our family that I was trying to write my own newspaper to give out in the house to. You know, <laughs> it was like, uh, yo, extra Burke family newspaper is carry a terrorist. Read more about it. <laughs> <on his history."> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it might be worth mentioning also, like like that. Definitely, his like def- his uh, study of astronomy had an influence on his later work because, like, a lot of people, I've heard, like I've heard astronomy is a kind of. It's that it's a humbling experience studying astronomy, and you know I actually I think that that's from Carl Sagan. I I heard uh, say that, and I think in a lot of ways H.P. Lovecraft is uh, the evil Carl Sagan, <laughs> like because it's all of, it's a lot about the like you know the the vastness of the cosmos and how insignificant we are. And that, that's something Carl Sagan said, and he was almost giving like this kind of. Um, Buddhist kind of universal philosophy about the oneness of everything, and Lovecraft is like, no, it's all terrible. It's 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 much. It's bigger than you. Right, right. Lovecraft's can be like the real thing you're about so Lovecraft. Insi- yeah. yeah, you're so insignificant. Yeah, you're, that one person is so insignificant yeah. in yeah. the overall universe. It's that, a lot of yeah. yeah. With Lovecraft, it, it's a fear of bigness. Mm. With Lovecraft, it's a fear of the largeness of things. That's kind of what cosmic horror is. That's interesting. Because uh, yeah. now I also want to make sure we hit one thing too, is because. Uh, LP started talking about it, but um, HP and Whipple very close. They were writing a lot of the early letters were written between the two of them. Um, yeah, and and uh, uh, HP would be at his grandfather's knee, if you will, and and Grandpappy Whipple is uh, making up stories, um, telling the kid about all these different things, and he's basing it on uh, some of these um, not gothic horrors, but. Uh, um, Roman gods and goddesses, and he's he's bringing in a lot of the other deities, if you will, other than what the rest of the family is is basing uh, their Christian beliefs on. And there's, uh, you know, he's he's not buying uh, that whole that whole thing. That but, but definitely influenced by some of the stories that his grandfather was telling him as a as a young kid. Yeah, apparently Whipple would tell like ghost stories uh, uh, quite often. And he also had, yeah, as I mentioned, there's this big library, and apparently one of the books that Lovecraft was uh, heavily influenced by as a child was uh, uh, Arabian Nights. Yeah. And that shows up a lot in his works because uh, he does set, uh, there is a lot of stuff that's either set in the Middle East or references to Middle Eastern places, people, and Which has texts. to be oddly familiar when we get into the weird darkness that this guy creates in the whole universe and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it gets pretty well. I, I am going to mention at the very end of the episode where I first heard about him because I'm, I'm pretty excited to, to get to that too. Mm-hmm. Um, 
another thing though is that you can't tell this guy's story because you and me talked about it a little bit via text leading mm-hmm. up to this. This guy's relationship with his mother is sometimes endearing, sometimes downright terrifying. Yeah. So uh, now him and Whipple very very close. Uh, as Jack alluded to, Whipple passes away, um, mm-hmm. but he passes away after the the family's kind of gone through some financial hardships. Mm-hmm. So they uh, they have to get rid of the the family paid servants, if you will. They are living on their own. So it's uh, it's poor Whipple and you know uh, the crew over at the house, right. if you will. And um, the money problems are starting to build up. Whipple passes away. He's not you know the money's not coming in like it was. And uh, so the loss of his grandfather is considered by Lovecraft to be one of the darkest days of his life. And that's a lot coming from a guy who's about to create, you know, um, a universe of, you know, pain. Yes. So lots to draw from there. Um, yeah. Now his mom's this depression-ridden mess, and the family money's gone. He's suffering from. Is it fair to call him night terrors, Jack? Is that okay? Well, he would. Yeah, nightmares. I would say. Yeah. Uh, uh, he he had uh, a lot of them. He used to have the he he had these nightmares about being carried away by these things that would actually feature in his fiction called night gaunts, which were like these faceless, th- black winged demonic creatures that would pick him up by the stomach apparently Oof. they would grab in the specifically they, they would grab him by the stomach and then carry him around and show him these places these incomprehensibly alien places now if i had nightmares as a kid that were manifesting themselves into real life it would just be me surrounded by a lot of l mcpherson's that's pretty much it. It's a nightmare. <laughs> no, that, that's what I'm saying. That, a like, nightmare or a wet dream? <laughs> uh, my poor mother. Um, but uh, now it, it is weird, too, because this difficult relationship we're talking about, he's got, he's got his own shit going on. Now, there is the idea of inbreeding, Jack mentioned. Mm-hmm. Then there's also uh, mental illness can be passed down you know, as a genetic trait, if right. you will, uh-huh. um, which is, again, terrifying because uh, – <laughs> Yeah. Old KP's adopted here. We have no idea what age I'm going to snap at. So, yeah. Um, if I ever come in here, uh, Kahuna, and I have uh, I have my father's head in a jar to continue right. the podcast, you're going to know that it was 33. That was the age he went. That's, uh, <laughs> yeah. One loud noise away from oh, <laughs> coming in in a, in a bell jar. <laughs> <laughs> but um, they got this difficult relationship between HP and his mother. Uh, the two were quite loving most of the time, but there were reports from family members, friends, and neighbors that said that uh, Susie would often tell HP that. Uh, now this line will fuck you up. I mean, you're, I make make sure you're holding me. You're the integrity of the show right now, Jack. <laughs> yeah. As I recall, HP was uh, being told by his mother that he was so hideous to look at that he should never show his face in public as a mm-hmm. little boy. Now that's gonna fuck with you a little bit because you know. Yeah. When well, mommy dearest is saying you're too ugly to go outside. <laughs> that's pretty hard, especially considering the family was running the motel and and, <laughs> and, and, and then later he would change his name to Norman. And right. It, it was a Not real, bad, sir. Not a real bad. shitty situation. <laughs> well, they don't. Um, uh, again, like, and the family and friends would try to correct and be like, "No, you're not actually that ugly." But if your mom's telling you that, you tend to believe it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. Well, his mother had a lot of problems. Like his mother had these, you know, just episodes of just psychotic freakouts. Like she would be shrieking at things that weren't that didn't seem to be there, and things she felt she would think that things are coming after her. Apparently, at, at points in his life, she would just she would escape the house, and then Lovecraft would have to go out and find her and bring her back home. Whoa. Yeah, and so, and you can see that that really had an influence on his work, you know, because the like the idea of like see being afraid of things that you can't see, you know. In fact, there's actually a character in one of his works, the uh, Abdul Al Hazrat, the Mad Arab. 
who is like I don't think that he features in a book, but he's like kind of a recurring thing that is constantly called back to in a lot of the works in a lot of his you know his own shared universe. And uh, Oof, that callback, that character, the way he died, is uh, via being eaten by something that was invisible. Well, that's a fear of the unknown, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> no, but that's isn't that interesting? When I when I, I was reflecting on that, and I'm like, that is totally a reflection of his mother, because his mother was afraid of things that weren't there. And you know, and and I, I I can see what you know, whether consciously or not, that I think was a direct result of his mother's uh, psychotic episodes. Sure. Well, also, just imagine being a kid, and then you—the only sense of normal you have is this guy, you know, your grandfather that's spending time with you. Got a good—he goes away, and now your mother, who's supposed to be the person you think is going to give you a sense of a safety, right. is uh, she's—you know—you got to go out in the darkness and go find her sometimes. Yeah. I mean, it's not a great house. Um, let's be honest. No. Um, HP again, not exactly a Chris Hemsworth looking guy, but he uh, certainly wasn't grotesque looking. No. Um, now I kind of think that his mother. This is my take on it. Uh, and I, I think it's been echoed by other people is that when uh, his mother was calling him ugly all the time, it was a way to keep him, uh, don't leave the house, you're too ugly to leave, so that you won't leave me. Kind yeah. of closer to her. Yeah. You know, there's something that I, I it occurred to me in researching for this episode is that Lovecraft later in life goes on to make friends with Robert Block, who wrote the novel that the Hitchcock movie Psycho is based on. Yep. <laughs> and I'm wondering if he based that on Lovecraft, given Lovecraft's relationship with it, his it's mother. There, dude. It, it's, it's all there. Those, yeah, all those guys are tied in together. Mm. It's uh, it's pretty cool, too, because um, now uh, he's got this, um, because of his anxiety, which, uh, and, and you and I have talked about, too, I think a lot of people have anxiety. I think we understand what it is, and people experience it at different levels. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, uh, this guy's overwhelmed being out in public sometimes. Yeah. And uh, especially early on, which is hilarious. Cause it looks like at times if he can get himself comfortable with a group of friends that he likes, he's actually a quite sociable guy. Yeah. So, but I thought this was worth noting is that uh, HP uh, learns to, uh, his grandfather once made him overcome his fear of the dark by walking around a bunch of dark rooms in their family house, which New England is kind of spooky no matter what time of year you're up there, if we're being <laughs> quite honest. Um, and, uh, He's also reading nonstop. He's reading these pop and science fiction magazines. And uh, one such magazine, this was my favorite part of the whole story here, just in terms of trying to lighten the mood of this guy, <laughs> um, is that uh, um, there's one magazine he's reading called Argos. And uh, thanks to his strong ri- uh, letter writing ability and lack of an outlet for uh, the anger any young man feels. And I apologize, guys, because I'm getting freaking, uh, I have my iPad with my notes on it on uh, uh, airplane mode so that uh, you know, it wouldn't disrupt me. But because of the Wi-Fi here in a shared universe, I'm getting all of the NFL scores for the 1 o'clock games. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Giants win, by the way. Um, but, uh, yeah, he uh, he's reading this, and uh, he's very angry uh, when he's reading this one particular writer, uh, Fred Jackson, who you guys might remember as a running back for the Buffalo Bills. Um, <laughs> the actual Fred Jackson is a romance writer, mm-hmm. and this is a guy who um, his work is, we'll call him a hack, is that fair to say? Well, yeah, I mean, it was a. I think Lovecraft really didn't. He was writing like love stories, apparently yeah. quite insipid love stories, and uh, yeah, and I don't know why Lovecraft decided to target this person. Well, he hated this guy, hated yeah. his work, and began writing letters nonstop. And I thought this was hilarious too. It shows you a little sense of humor the guy had. Um, he's writing uh, letters, sh- you know, to the newspaper, shitting on Fred Jackson and ta- you know talking about what a piece of shit his writing is. 
but he's doing it in a rhyming scheme. Right, he's doing it in prose. So, <laughs> he's not yeah. just writing a letter to the editor or, no. or something. Yeah. He's he's doing it in, in prose to, um, you know, this guy Jackson is is a total hack and everything else. And Mary, Mary, quite contrary. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I've actually done this exactly. Like I've actually I've actually trolled via poetry. I've done it to forums. That's <laughs> I've done it to, to various forums. Uh, I did it. I, can't, I hope I one day just stumble across a forum and I just see someone troll someone in rhyme. I'd be like, "That was the man." Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I have I've done a lot of trolling in my time, and I, I actually think I was about the same age as Lovecraft when when I was doing yeah. it. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's nuts, too, because that, that is this guy who's going to go on to become uh, one of the most accomplished American authors of all time uh, in terms of uh, recognition, mm-hmm. that uh, he starts his what would become an illustrious literary career as just a troll, man, all right? Well, so, as an amateur, I mean, because he's writing letters, and that's uh, prompting supporters of Jackson to write letters back saying that, you know, you're a hack and everything else, and why you're using all these, you know, uh, 25-cent words when... Uh, a nickel word would get get the job done. Yeah, and, and Fred he, Jackson wrote back, don't at me. <laughs> so that was good, too. And just a whole lot of back and forth with that. And then um, Lovecraft is recognized by some of these other amateur writers that this this kid's got some ability. And because he's a, just a young guy at this point, too, that he's not... He's not an accomplished writer in his own right. He's not, no, he he's put not. out a diss track, and he's getting signed by a record label. <laughs> there, there you not. go. There you go. Yeah. Well, the guy you were talking about, Dad, is uh, Edward Doss. Um, he's the head of the uh, the UAPA, the United Amateur Press Association. And they, uh, he found the letters hysterical and offered uh, HP to join the group. Uh, Jack, I read about it. I didn't fully understand what the UAPA was all about, but my understanding was that this was amateur writers who weren't writing for a commercial sense. They were trying to stay more true to the craft in an Edgar Allan Poe way rather than writing almost like uh, like tech manuals and uh, you know, uh, soulless shit. You know? Yeah, I actually don't know what the UAPA really was as an entity. Like, I, I just know that I'm I, I'm about as familiar as you are with it. It's Das was the president of it and offered Lovecraft uh, a job, and it, it led to it, it was really the beginning of his uh, career in fiction. Because which know, is wild, right? Yeah, yeah, that trolling pays off, kids. <laughs> that's, that's it. <laughs> yeah, that's I gotta it. I gotta dust off the old troll gloves. <laughs> Get back on that horse. Dude, if it works, it works, man. It uh, paid dividends here, uh, in a sense. Uh, not actual dividends, as we're going to cover. Hey, listen, man, YouTubers have made careers out of it, so go for it. Yeah. Exactly. There's always a, there's never a shortage of awful famous people. That's uh, another <laughs> good thing. So. But, uh, yeah, so... Um, Top he's... of the list, Big Kahuna. <laughs> well, uh, it's always weird to me, too, because... Um, after his comments in the YouTube section, if you will, he winds up uh, overcoming these antisocial tendencies he has. Where again, the kid couldn't even be in grade school. That's how you know he, he found he found anything he wasn't really in control of or where he wasn't comfortable was foreign to him. So I understand this idea that um, he's going to create this horrifying nightmare landscape because he's afraid at all times. Because I, yeah. I I've had a couple panic attacks in my life. Usually, I've, we found out the trigger for him was actually it was hilarious. It was uh, I would try to dry out from drinking too much. And that's when your anxieties like peak. So it's the it's that weird thing. You almost feel like Iron Man, where uh, you're gonna have a little bit of alcohol so that you can feel better. But if you have too much alcohol, then you become even worse than before. Yeah, we were just talking about before we recorded about the the, the balancing act of doing that with stand up. <laughs> oh, it's tough, man. Uh, my, my best friend Nate Condit, when he was doing stand up, uh, the running rule was uh, over at Tierney's in Montclair on Sundays that uh, the woman who booked it, uh, my dear friend Pat Grillen, who I love. 
uh, older lady, no-nonsense lady. And her rule was, I have to put Nathan up first because otherwise he gets too drunk and no one can understand him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so wait, he was, a, he was a kid sending these letters? Uh, not really a kid. He was... Uh, like he, a teenager? Post yeah. high school. No, yeah. well, he, it was in 1914 he did it, so he was 24. But he was born in 18... What, 1890. So he was 24. I would have done oh. that math, Jack, but I have too delicate a constitution. For <laughs> <laughs> right. So... Yeah. But uh, I thought this was worth noting. So an antisocial kid, now you put him, you, you get him somewhere where he's comfortable, and you get, you maximize this kid's skill set. So now he's writing nonstop. He's not writing fiction just yet, but he's writing nonstop. A lot of essays, and he was a, a prolific letter writer. They actually say, um, I'll get to the numbers at the very end here, but there's a really cool quote about uh, a stat, I should say, about uh, his letter writing prowess. Yeah. He wrote over a hundred thousand letters in his time. Yep. Par- apparently, yeah. only second only to Voltaire. Voltaire, who was that's literally his bread and butter. That's what Voltaire yeah. did. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's pretty wild because uh, now he winds up becoming the president of this UAPA for a time. He's uh, also, I thought it was interesting for the zeitgeist. He's openly critical of the U.S.'s delay to get involved with what would become the First World War, and he felt. And this goes back to his idea of being highborn, that these are uh, you know, Anglo Saxons in New England. Right. That England is our mother. We should do country. everything we should do everything to, to save Britain from the yeah, from the Huns. That's where the fight is. Now, not for nothing, the rest of the country's divided as we've always covered on here, because still World War One is the wildest thing to me because if you the two biggest immigrant populations at the time are the Germans and the Irish. And uh, you're gonna go aid Britain so you can kill the Germans. Uh, and make sure that the Britons uh, are able to continue to, you know, right. uh, and borderline huge, enslave the Irish. But, but and a huge Irish population is fighting with the British Army, so I mean, yeah. that's where they're getting their Yeah, their it men. Is, uh, is a wild time. That's one of my favorite times we've learned about on the show here. But uh, he's got, um, he does feel that kinship to England, which a lot of people did. It's not uh, uncommon for him. But his writing during this time begins to display two wildly different qualities. On the one hand, in 1916, a uh, big year for the Irish, um, Lovecraft begins exploring uh, what Jack said earlier about writing in fiction with works such as uh, The Alchemist, a very heavily Edgar Allan Poe-inspired work called The Tomb, and what would become a famous early work in, uh, it's Dagon, right? Am I pronouncing that right, bud? Yeah, or, yeah. I'm, the, the, vary, the pronunciation varies, but, well, yeah. You started hitting on some of the elements of, uh, of you know, what Lovecraft's universe is going to be. Now, obviously, you started at, uh, you know, uh, hyperspeed because you are a subject matter expert. So if someone's just finding out about Lovecraft right now, what are some of the, what's the, g- give me the, uh, give me the for dummies for uh, understanding Lovecraft's literature. Because I, I I looked up a thing last night about the, the five of the major characters throughout yeah. his work, mm-hmm. and I found myself confused. <laughs> and I told my father, don't even bother watching this. It's not going to make sense to you. Right? Yeah. Well, I mean, to get like Dagon is kind of the, the first work that shows up at this point in the timeline, and it is quite you know it's somewhat emblematic of what he's about. You know, it's about a ship a, a sailor who finds himself shipwrecked on this island that shouldn't be there, and he suspects that it that it was a. a, a like thrown up from the ocean floor by volcanic activity and then he wanders it and there's these weird things on the island and he sees this this uh this monolith and that that obviously was intentionally made it's got like engravings on it and then he sees this massive creature come up and put its hands on it and seems to prostrate before it and worship it 
And then he says he goes mad, and then he's you know gets addicted to morphine and uh, throws himself out the window. And he's writing as he's throwing himself out the window. <laughs> that, he's like the window, the window. He actually, it's a common trope in Lovecraft fiction. It happens in more than one story. Drank a fifth of Kool Aid, yeah. dare me to drive. <laughs> <laughs> but Dagon is pretty. Like if I were to give somebody a, a Lovecraft starter kit, I would say the color out of like I might change my answer on this, but it's like the color out of space, the uh, the call of Cthulhu. Um, at the Mountains of Madness, um, the Dunwich Horror, and that, if I recall, that was National Lampoon's The Dunwich Horror. Correct? Is that right? Is that no. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then a fifth one. What would be the the one to round that off with? Uh, I guess it would be. Uh, oh yeah, the Shadow Over Innsmouth. Yeah, absolutely. Damn, it's a. Uh, even the titles are depressing. Yeah. You know, this guy's dealing with some shit. Yeah. Now, Kahuna, we are going to hit casting couch towards the end. I want you starting to think about this right away here. Um, who would play this psycho? Who would play H.P. Lovecraft, <laughs> correct. I think I said it at the beginning. Yeah, he did. He nailed it. <laughs> yeah. He hit it on the head. We uh, could just cancel that. A dried out Adrian Brody. <laughs> yeah. yeah, basically. Just put him in the tanning bed for a bit too uh, long. I like this more. Mine was going to be Harold Ramis. <laughs> um, <laughs> Harold Ramis now. Very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's dark. That's, uh, I um, think Lovecraft would appreciate it. Well, we say all this because we're, we're clearly this kid's a distraught kid. We're going to, it's not a stretch to call him mentally ill. It's clear that he did not have a very positive upbringing. Uh, HP's worst qualities, without a doubt, his racism. So Yeah, I was reading something on his uh, old Wikipedia page. Uh, did you, uh, what? Any titles jump out at you, bud? Well, well there's a, there was one, yeah. <laughs> It was, it was one that really stuck you. out. Yeah. Like a Stay Puff Marshmallow Man in the middle of New York City. <laughs> so, you, so he was a little bit of a... We're, we're going to get into, for the listeners at home who don't quite know what we're talking about yet, um, HP held many beliefs that were common during his time, but many of them he held to an apparent extreme. Oh, yeah. He was absolutely very racist, even for his time. Like, I think that I actually have a theory that Lovecraft was autistic, and Ooh. I think in no p uh, other place in his life does it show up more than in his racism, because he was—he's the kind of racist that he's—he's—he's he's, he's getting picky about what type of white you are. Yeah, <laughs> he really is, and that—that that shows up in his work. Like, yeah, and oh, um, he's a Tarantino racist. <laughs> yeah. Okay. He's uh, very, very specific about what he. Yeah. Well. At at an abstract ideological level, I mean, as we'll get onto it, he's he he actually kept acquaintances and cl well, more than like close friends, and even married some pe uh, someone of minority, which is hilarious too. Right. So it's it's one of those weird things where yeah. um, he's uh it, it's he's a complicated guy. Yeah, and, he's, uh, he's got but you're all right racism. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, Not you. You. It's a uh, company accepted. Yeah. I used to do a joke. Uh, <laughs> I used to do a joke about it on stage when it was, uh, you're one of the good ones. That's what they... <laughs> yeah. yeah. So if you get told that, uh, it, it's always a, a baffling thing, especially for the time. Now, there is... His defenders will say that it wasn't so much... It obviously was racism. You can't defend, uh, especially when you put it into writing like that. It's it's over, dude. That's a tweet. You know what I mean? It's it, People have lost more you're for less. you canceled. Yeah. <laughs> but um, his one thing I thought was interesting is that uh, if you take a look at it, he there's definitely some elitism to him. So it's like, because he's got friends in later life, he's got, uh, you know, as Jack alluded to, he is going to, he, he's been called anti-Semitic, but then he marries a Jewish woman. Mm -hmm. So his whole thing is, if you're a pretty smart guy, then I can deal. So it, it is that, you know, 
but you're okay kind of a thing like you were saying man so he's got some like really let's just be honest they're fucked up views but again it's ideas he holds in his head that don't work out in practice so it's kind of this weird thing as we're going to get into for a second here but um he uh there's layers to his racism as we said (laughs) did not like uh, immigrants was very very um uh he's pretty much a, a comfortable white supremacist so in 1917, by the way, uh, Lovecraft attempted to join the army and passed his physical, but was threatened by his mother with legal action uh, if he didn't tell the recruiters all about his disqualifying mental illnesses. <laughs> right. right. The things that kept him out of school, yeah. kept him from graduating high school. Anything we should know before we give you this gun and grenade? Well, right. um, I wasn't allowed to go to school because I found it too stimulating. <laughs> yeah. um, Lovecraft in the army would have been a disaster. <laughs> it would have changed the course of history. That's it, <laughs> it is, and there's no way uh, to prove he would have even uh, survived, man, because it's uh, uh, the American troops saw some heavy shit when they got over there. Yeah, uh, I, I think Lovecraft th- did not have the constitution for math. Much <laughs> 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 less French warfare. Being alongside yeah. some of the French and uh, tough call on yeah, that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, now in 1919, uh, Lovecraft's mother, that was like her last great act, if you will, in his life uh, to a certain degree, because um, in 1919, what a way to go out. yeah, well, uh, she also now gets committed to an insane asylum, just like uh, Lovecraft's Daddy father. Before, yeah. So both parents wind up in the nuthouse, Cahoon. you paying attention to that shit? This is how you destroy a person's life. Right. Yeah. Um, Dad at the age of three and now mom at the age of however old he was in 1919 okay. again uh, we ain't doing math on this show dude 29. <laughs> um well she'd been having uh episodes and visions of creatures as well so now you sometimes you wonder mama lovecraft yeah mama yeah. lovecraft is seeing some shit um she's that'll co- turn you white but uh yeah it was pretty great man because uh um yeah, obviously, I'm saying the word great. That's the complete wrong word to use, but whatever. Um, I'm trying to just get, because we're having a lot of laughs here at this guy's expense today. We really are. Listen, the show is called American Loser. It's not our fault if some of the things are a little hilarious. <laughs> that should be a disclaimer for future episodes. Well, she has the, the total psychotic breakdown. She gets mm-hmm. put into what I believe we were talking about on the ride down, me and my father. We couldn't confirm this. I'm pretty sure it was the same hospital. The that, same hospital as yeah. Yep. So, yeah. yeah. So he knows the way to get there. Right. She gets um, tossed into the loony bin. Well, that's close, all, folks? Pretty much. I think she lived for maybe like uh, two years, uh, but she it wasn't long. And uh, yeah. Well, he would visit her all the time. I, I read about that, that um, he would visit her and they did exchange letters too. He would come walk. But he, it was very clear almost immediately to him uh, from her doctors that, hey, by the way, your mom's never getting out. This is where she lives now. Right. But, mm-hmm. so. Early on, he came to the realization that this is where mom's going to. Yeah. Past her final days. Mm-hmm. Well, this devastated the kid. So again, even though his mother, he, they did have a complicated relationship. I think it was a. Um, uh, the way I'm going to play it is, uh, if you watched Game of Thrones, I'm going to say like uh, it's like Robert Aaron and um, his mother, how she was breastfeeding him until he was like almost ten years old, kind of a thing. Yeah. That there is this this force, like I'm going to make sure you need me at all times, kind of. And now she's gone. So they did love each other, but it wasn't necessarily the healthiest relationship. Yeah, and, and uh, as I, going back to that Robert Block thing, like I, I might look into it a bit more, but I, I've never seen anybody else say it. But it could well be that Lovecraft is the inspiration for the novel that the Hitchcock movie is based on. 
So that I don't know. I'm just putting that out there. No, it's good shit. Man. Yeah, that might, is. You get the vibe for it too when you read about him. So well, that novel yeah. is really a, a hodgepodge of a few different people. So I wouldn't be surprised if the if maybe those traits from Lovecraft carried over into who Norman Bates was as a person, quote unquote, with his relationship with his mom. Uh-huh. It would make a ton of sense. Mm-hmm. It's true. Yeah. The um, now I do have a couple other questions I got to throw your way here in a second, man. But. Uh, this is pretty wild. So obviously it rocks his world when his mother gets committed. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, in his letters, you see this guy has a – he's not necessarily saying I'm going to kill myself, but you can see that he goes, if someone was to um, offer me a way out, I'd probably explore it. That's kind of a recurring theme in a lot of his letters. I mean, when your mom's in a loony bin singing, somebody's watching me, I'd be kind of <laughs> upset too. <laughs> Pop culture kahuna here today, man. I know, man. It's, it just happened. Once you laid down Ghostbusters, all bets were off. Uh, and uh, stay tuned, man, because it's going to get even wilder as it goes. But uh, it's um, this is devastating to uh, an already clearly mentally ill man, uh, and the letters are showing that things are not really going good here. Lovecraft, oddly is keeping a small circle of friends, but after his mother committed, he's becoming weirdly more social. So now that she's kind of not that overbearing, controlling figure in his yeah, life. Now, is he still in Providence at, at this point, or is, have we moved on to New York? No, he does not go to New York until later, so okay. we're about to hit that next chapter right. here. Um, he would meet important friends that would become uh, paramount to his fame in letter, uh, later life, such as uh, Frank Belknap Long and August Derleth. Yeah. So. Um, and as Jack explained to me, Durleth becomes like crazy important in this whole story. Yes. Um, now, not for nothing, these guys are, they become integral parts of what is uh, eventually known as the Cthulhu mythos. Uh, Jack, quick question. Number one, what is the Cthulhu mythos? And then what are the great old ones? Well, the Cthulhu mythos is kind of the shared universe that Lovecraft set a lot of his stories within. So you'll, if you read the, a lot of his works, like they, they all kind of refer to some of the same entities. And um, so he did have kind of the whole, you know, to uh, keep using that term, because we are at Shared Universe Studio, but it is. It's it's working, but Yeah, and he created his own thing, but he also encouraged other um, authors to use the characters and deities and, you know, places and, you know, books that he would mention in his books, in his stories. common universe. He wanted to let other people use them. So that increased the size of this mythos. And there were contemporaries who did did it while he was alive, like Derleth. And then people have gone on to do it after his death. Are his works in the public domain? Yeah. And I don't think he copyrighted uh, those particular trademarks. Oh, they wouldn't be trademarks if he didn't care. Copyright, but so no, yeah. So they, I don't. I, he wanted people to use it. He he had some. He had a, a vested interest in that. So and they certainly are out of the public domain now. I think I think that even if he did, they would be old enough to. Well, I'm not sure about that. I'm not a lawyer. Well, he's tough too because uh, he's tough to cover in a literary sense because. Uh, what he inspired other people to write in that, again, we're using pun intended <laughs> based off of the name of our studio, but within a, a shared universe, uh, you write a good premise for a joke and then somebody else is like, oh, hey, what if you did this? And you say, no, nah, I'm going to keep it with mine, but why don't you explore that? It's not, you, yeah. you can have a shared premise with comedy. There's a lot of people that have similar stuff, man. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, No reboots, though. It's a <laughs> it uh, yeah reboots are tough that way. Um, <laughs> now, uh, unfortunately, in 1921, and I'm going to throw back to you in a second here, Jack, because I do want to get into the great old ones because he's about to start creating that world. Mm-hmm. Um, in 1921, uh, his mother passes away in the mental hospital, and uh, her death absolutely shatters young HP. Once again, he's debating whether or not he's going to end his life, and the only thing that seems to uh, keep HP going is attending these conventions. 
uh, of the Amateur Writers Association, okay, uh-huh. of which he is uh, right. a president. Mm-hmm. So at one of these festivals, he meets the uh, the next major woman in his life. So he goes from uh, uh, his mother Mommy. right to uh, a lady by the name of Sonia Green. Yeah. Now, pretty obvious, by the way, from some of his letter writing that uh, Lovecraft is holding some anti-Semitic feelings. Yeah. Uh, didn't seem to have a problem marrying a Jewish lady, though, did he? No. <laughs> a, real, a, real, uh, a real testament to the power of... Of pussy, I guess. Like, <laughs> there you go. To make you betray your core beliefs. <laughs> uh, it's um. She was also older than him by I think nine years. Seven, or so. seven oh, years yeah. older. Seven? Yeah. Okay. Successful lady had a hat business that was booming. Yeah, right. and it just occurred to me like he probably was interested in uh, replacing his mother immediately because they met two weeks after. Jesus, uh, was that death. short? Yeah. And uh, I, I don't think it was long before they became involved and got. They were married in uh, at 1924, so they met uh, in 1921, and so yeah. they were married in three years. But they had been dating, I guess, between that point and then. So that was a a, a quick marriage. We'll get this too. She was uh, an amateur writer because she did have a, a booming hat business. She was from a, a relatively well-off family, mm-hmm. um, and it's. Uh, I thought it was worth noting, though, that she had written her most popular work as an amateur writer is The Horror at Martin's Beach, which uh, was revised and edited by Lovecraft himself. Mm-hmm. So the two of them were working together on that. And then, uh, you know, I guess they kind of I'm sure they were already hitting it off at that point. Yeah. And then when you get to work together on a passion, because pro- I can tell you, there's uh, you know, when you have a common interest with somebody that can be the driving factor in an entire relationship. Yeah. Um, like I was interested in my money at the time, and so was the girl I was dating. So. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, um, Green is a wealthy lady, and uh, she actually um, the Lovecraft aunts now the two surviving aunts are completely against Lovecraft getting married here. Um, so against their wishes, Lovecraft marries her because they know he's crazy, or just like well, they're against him marrying a Jewish woman. Yeah, it's I think not, that goes back uh, to the. Uh, also, you get the vibe too that the the ants were also controlling, right? Does that come? Well, they had the money or what remained of it. Correct. All the inheritance from Whipple had gone now to the two ants. So yeah, so they had that kind of influence on him, and we'll see later the, the they used it as leverage against him. Uh, uh, we'll see at some point. Well, down they, the line. There's a lot of abandonment in this poor boy's life, but yeah. uh, he winds up uh, uh, is convinced by his wife to relocate to New York to further his writing career. She's going to financially support him. This is a good chick, man. She's mm-hmm. going to financially support him because she believes in him and in the writing, and they relocate to uh, 793 Flatbush Avenue in Brooklyn. Brooklyn, yeah. Which but now, right is now an H&R block. As soon as they were married, they moved into her apartment in Brooklyn. Yes. So. And she, at this point, she's still pretty well, pretty well off herself, so she's able yeah. to support him. He hasn't, he hasn't worked a job yet. Yeah. It's, uh, he is not, and you're right here. Now, uh, Sonia also has to make a man out of Lovecraft, uh, literally. Yes. So Green had been married before, and she started to realize almost right away that her new husband was, in fact, still a virgin. Yeah. So she mm-hmm. uh, she had quipped that um, he performed adequately in bed, but that uh, all advances had to be done by her. So, she you know. Adequately excellent. That's it. <laughs> which is like kind of like, it, it, does that cancel out? Or does that average out to like, uh, <laughs> right. in right. between? Is that like adequately, like, does it bring excellent down? Like, is he like halfway between adequate? And it's. <laughs> I had a bit I used to try to do. I have abandoned it completely, but it was uh, when the Olympics were on. Remember Lolo Jones? Uh-huh. She was the most beautiful woman I've ever seen in my life, I think. Um, but she was a, a track runner. And she was deeply religious. And um, she was a virgin. And she was open about that. And I always said, wouldn't that be great if you had 
you could have a partner who had no previous sexual experience on, on their wedding. She's like, oh, yeah, this is where um, now this is sex. Uh, I, I'm going to uh, it's just me for 30 seconds. Right. And then uh, then it's over. And then uh, you get me a beer and a hungry man out of the fridge. <laughs> so but uh, yeah, Hi, Sunquist family. Uh, <laughs> Apparently, so- Sonia, a lot of people have like have made like there's this theory that ex- that's out there that Lovecraft was gay. Um, and because, like, you know, there's, you know, Sonia apparently had to give Lovecraft books, instructional books on romance <laughs> in order to get him to have sex with her. So he might have just been an idiot. He might have been an idiot, but, like, isn't some, there's similar. It'd be great if she gave him a Fred Jackson yeah. romance novel to read. Yeah. To... Apparently, Tom Cruise on the set of uh, uh, Eyes Wide Shut, apparently, there, 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 was some, there was some love scenes between Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise, and, like, it just wasn't working because Tom Cruise apparently had, had issues doing that, you know. So, so he had to get intimacy coaching from an intimacy coach. Which is weird because they were married yeah. at the time. Exactly. It is weird. <laughs> so that made me think, like, maybe because there is that rumor about Tom Cruise, and I'm like, well, maybe Lovecraft is. And I looked into it a bit. It doesn't seem that way. I just think Lovecraft was like just he, he had that low T. I look forward to <laughs> low T. I look very much forward to the sheltered from day one. The yeah. lawsuit from the Church of Scientology that this podcast is about to suffer. Thanks to Jack. Uh, well, oh, do I have something to tell you after this podcast? Anyway, <laughs> well, we got to move on here because we're we're hitting the, uh, the the we're hitting the sweet spot on this podcast here mm-hmm. um, as uh, as only we can at the fifty minute mark. Um, <laughs> Wow, we've only already. It's, it's uh, been going pretty yeah, fast. But it's fun, man, and it's no one ever complains about the length of the episodes, which I appreciate, uh, yeah. especially in a, a culture that completely bitched about the length of the Irishman. Yeah. Um, first time anyone's ever complained about the length of an Irishman. Let me tell you. Um, <laughs> so. <laughs> uh, but um, neither of them are going to wind up uh, reaping the financial rewards of this. But she is completely supporting him financially at the time. Mm-hmm. She buys into him. She goes, "You got something here." But due to personal issues and then the market collapsing, uh, Green's funding dries up, and she's now forced to move to Ohio for a job opportunity. Mm-hmm. Lovecraft is now given a weekly allowance by his wife to stay in New York, although he's forced to move to the Red Hook. I'm sorry. They say that he moved to the Red Hook section of Brooklyn, but he moved right near. It's Brooklyn Heights that he moves to. The edge of Red Hook. Yeah. And he's right by the edge of Red Hook, which is a move that kind of ruins Lovecraft's legacy. So yeah. uh, while in Red Hook, which is a thriving immigrant community, which is a way, you know, it's kind of an inner city vibe to it. And you got this nerdy New England kid, uh, very waspy, who has a ton of social anxiety. Not exactly a nice, quiet neighborhood for him to be able to focus and, and you know, uh, calmly, you know, observe the things going around him. So, due to his nativist attitudes, his uh, anxiety in the New England upbringing, it causes him to despise this new location. Red Hook's full of immigrants from many other countries, large African American community. This diversity comes as an absolute shock to Lovecraft, who went on to, during this time, pen some of his most racist and xenophobic work in response to his daily interactions with neighbors and passerbys. Yeah. Uh, doesn't help that his apartment gets burglarized, leaving him with only the clothes on his back. This dude's now angry, isolated, he's bitter. Lovecraft is penning works so it describes non-whites as subhuman, uh, contradicted his own perceived racism regularly. Like we said, he had Jewish friends, some of whom were even gay, but uh, yeah. Lovecraft is such a prude, he might not have even known what gay was. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He appar- well, he knew what gay was. Apparently he learned, it. I read in one of his letters that he learned what homosexuality even was uh, at the age of 30. 
Interesting. <laughs> well, but it was also a different time. Like it's also possible that that's the inverse now too. Because uh, I remember growing up as a kid who used to use gay slurs all the time, but we didn't know what gay was. Like I, I specifically remember having no knowledge. I thought it was someone who farted a lot. <laughs> that was that was a thing. Because I had to get pulled aside and explain what that was. I was like, oh, that's not what he's doing. Okay. Um, but uh, oddly enough, Lovecraft often speaks highly of uh, Hispanics and Jews in later writings, but uh, was almost always negative about uh, these were the three core that he hated. German immigrants, Irish Catholics, African Americans. So pretty much everyone at this table is not in his. Actually, Jack, you might be okay. That's <laughs> no, I'm part Jewish. Uh, that's so uh, so close. I, I, Sorry, oh, HP. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, he he had a lot of. Uh, but you know, as I said before, it was a very it was ideological racism. Because Huna don't want him in his circle anyway. No. <laughs> No. Well, not for nothing. Uh, defenders of Lovecraft, like we said, will, will argue that he's more of an elitist than a racist. But critics can just easily point to a poem he wrote in 1912 that mm. we won't name on this podcast. But if you care enough to Google it, you'll find it. We don't have to tell you the name of it. Yeah. It's that bad. Isn't it interesting? Like, I just want to point out that our, that, that our aversion to saying the name of this poem is an example of Lovecraftian fear. <laughs> it's like the fear. Yeah, it's like kind of like don't say the word. It's 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 right. it'll it'll just it'll change it'll destroy everything. It's because <laughs> it will. It's knowing KP what we will mean. Get canceled. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's why yeah. somebody asked me to go. Um, they go, you, oh, you should do um, you should do Martin Luther King as an American loser. I was like, yeah, that's exactly the optics we want for this show. Yeah, you know? <laughs> a white father and son discuss why MLK was a loser. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy! Um, Who suggested that, Carrie? That's a. <laughs> uh, we got to bring her back in here. Um, hey, but I got a I got a Jersey connection right uh -oh. right around this time though. Here comes the Jersey. You know what? Let's just hit it. LP. While he's living at the edges of Red Hook, being forced to live amongst these, uh, you know, the dirty Irish and the, the blacks and uh, all these other um, non-starters for for Lovecraft's uh, thing. He writes a, a short story entitled He, but he found that whole locale, that whole environment, that whole Brooklyn environment so hideous that he had to jump on a ferry and go across over to Elizabeth, New Jersey, oh, where he buys a five cent um, tablet, you know, notepad kind of a thing, and writes, writes this short story while sitting in a park in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Interesting. What was the, what was the park? Do you know? I mean, what, it was in Elizabeth. You said it was a park, a right? A park, yeah. Uh, uh, Elizabeth Scott's Park. Oh, wow. Is where he wrote the story. That yeah, Jersey is tie the Yeah. Mm. Well, it's uh, not for another. We do maintain, because I know you've listened to some episodes before, Jack, but we do maintain that New Jersey is actually the center of the universe. Mm. That's, it just seems to be that way. Um, but uh, clearly distressed and impoverished, Lovecraft is now forced to return to Providence, Rhode Island in 1926. Mm -hmm. uh, he was never an overweight man, but in the time, it, he had been so... So stressed out and so impoverished, if you will, that he had lost 40 pounds in the time that he was living in Red Hook, uh, near Red Hook. Yeah, I while say. he was married and still living with her, he had gained uh, gained some weight. That you know, he was certainly enjoying the home cooked meals and everything else. So I found something that was saying he was probably uh, around 200 pounds at this point. I'll say it but was. then Jesus. she leaves, moves to the Midwest someplace. Yeah, Ohio. Remember, yeah, Ohio, mm -hmm. and then uh, he's at the edge of uh, Red Hook. And that's like a real low. He, his least amount of stuff being written is at, in this particular time period when he was living in New York. Yeah. And now he's forced to go back to Providence kind of with his tail between his legs that, uh, you know, yeah. back to Auntie's 
back yeah. to the aunties and, and living with them, I believe, right? And the aunties Absolutely. actually, this is where they played the money card because hit him, hit him. Yeah, they, they Lovecraft wrote. He was desperate. He hated being in Red Hook so much that he wrote his aunts like begging them to take him back to Providence, and they agreed. But they said that you would ha that Sonia will not be joining you, and uh, so he had to divorce Sonia. And uh, he never sees her again, by the way, which I thought no. was... Should, now, you found a weird caveat, did yeah, you? Yeah, but at the, at the same time, he never signs the divorce decree. Exactly, yes. So they're divorced, but he never really signed the, the divorce decree. Yeah, and actually, so. Sonia remarried, so uh, um, she was technically bigamous uh, during that marriage. Jesus. Well, it was and out she, in California, though, so they're, they're cool with that. And that would have been... Well, actually, she wasn't. She learned, when she learned about it, it was later in life, but apparently it, it unnerved her. She didn't like it. She didn't, um, but yeah. And I suspect that I actually have a, a, a suspicion that Lovecraft intentionally didn't sign that divorce because he claimed to still love her. So I think that Lovecraft might have, uh, in, in one final desperate romantic gesture, just not signed it. Just, you know, he just couldn't bring himself to do it. All those romance coaches really uh, paid off. I a, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, um, it's wild here. Uh, but he does move back to Providence now. Mm -hmm. And it's weird because it's almost like, uh, it sounds like a defeat, but it's almost the best thing that ever happened to him. And I know a thing or two about having to move home after you fuck up. Mm -hmm. um, this time back in Providence proved to be Lovecraft's most productive. So whether it's being out of Red Hook, back under the care of two controlling, I'm saying care with air quotes, by the way, of uh, two controlling women, or uh, the familiar sights of Providence, HP is writing his weird little ass off. Yeah. Um, he uh, even begins ghostwriting for Dad. Tell him. A ghostwriter for Harry Houdini. Yep. You want to tie in? This Shut is the f yep. I'm not going to say it, Sunquist yep. family. I'm sorry. <laughs> Damn. Loserception, baby. Loserception. Loserception. <laughs> Can we use that term moving forward if I, we have two losers? I had to figure out what we were going to call it. That's the move right there, dude. Loserception. This was... This was uh, Right around the time uh, Harry Houdini was to appear in our own Patterson, New Jersey, and uh, he was contacted to uh, um, through a third party that perhaps he was going to ghostwrite for Harry Houdini. As it turns out, that came about somewhat, but um, shortly thereafter, Houdini died. So once again, uh, you know, That's just so Mr. Weird Mr. Lovecraft is is lost. You know, at a loss. Yeah. That somebody else died in his, in his life that lost his connection, if you will. That uh, yeah. that was going to be a big project for him. Comes back to the hopelessness of uh, he, his writing themes. He too. did actually ghostwrite for Harry Houdini. He did. Uh, he did write. He yeah. did write some things. Right, but yeah. there was a, a, a larger bigger, project. There a, was a, a larger thing. project oh, I wasn't that was aware of that. Yeah. awaiting on the horizon. That uh, with Houdini's death, that that you know vaporized. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Well, as we covered too, HP was a man of science, so he was still he was doing experiments regularly. I think he was um, uh, as a kid, he was always that was a lot of the early essays were for science magazines and stuff like that. Yeah, um, I mean, well, like let's be clear, like I think Lovecraft fancied himself a scientist, but you know, mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of Elizabeth Warren in that <laughs> status, given that he never finished school and that uh, he, maths just dro drove him Cthulhu mad. You know, <laughs> like, there you go. so there like you let's go. let's. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't want to. But it was Houdini's there, uh, desire that he was he was calling in Lovecraft to help fight the whole spiritualist movement, which we covered that, in uh, earnest. You know, he was going to have this, even if he is a self-appointed scientist, um, that at least he's bringing his writing skills into uh, 
to uh, combat this whole spiritualist ideas. Uh, so yet again, another person comes into his life. He gets abandoned a lot. That's a, a total um, theme of his life, if you will. Yeah. And you get why he has, there's a lot of nihilism um, in his, it's actually weird because he's, he creates a religion and then the religion is nihilism. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I mean, as I said, he, he's kind of, I, I'll, re, I'll correct myself. I said earlier, he, he's the evil Carl Sagan, but I would say he is the depressed and fearful Carl Sagan. So it's kind of like the immensity of the world and and just, but he, he rather than like a, a drawing some solace from that as Carl Sagan did, he kind of draws like grim For terror, depression. loneliness and terror. <laughs> You know, interesting. Yeah, it, 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 I could make and defend an argument that Carl Sagan is the reincarnation of Lovecraft, trying to work out <laughs> some better karma. Like rather than being like a, a rabid racist, he kind of becomes this hippie who smokes weed and makes a, a trippy TV show. <laughs> <laughs> imagine yeah. if uh, imagine if Lovecraft could have gotten his hands on. Uh, well, I mean, I don't know if he drank really, because uh, that's always. You wonder what could have been done to even this boy out. I'll put it that way. Psychedelics. Yeah, absolutely. We've talked about that plenty. That's <laughs> if Lovecraft. I would say that if Lovecraft did, I mean, he was kind of a psychedelic thinker, you know, because he is talking about these like grand cosmic things, and you know, talking about space and entities that are beyond our comprehension. It's all very psychedelic. It's, it, but I, I'm, I'm almost certain that he never partook in anything. I don't even think he drank. Yeah, but to be fair with what you've said about this dude. I feel like it wouldn't even have affected him. He would just be like, "What? Nothing." <laughs> yeah. I think it would. It would either have like really leveled him out, or more likely have uh, driven him, him further. Yeah, than, yeah like into madness. A, a modern Lovecraft would be, you know, if we, kind of a depressed guy. But if you introduce him to psychedelics and you know marijuana and drinking, he probably just would have followed fish around for a year or two. I think a modern <laughs> Lovecraft would be kind of a, uh, would, might have been a male feminist. That's a- <laughs> Like I think he might it's not, have been it's not like, a political show, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> I might want to edit that out. I, I don't. Wanna... I can cut that out. I got. No, you. it's fine. It's, no, it, no dude. I, I don't know. I, uh, some of my best friends are male feminists. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, um, yeah. Well, he's uh, he's got all these weird things going on here for now. Lovecraft does start to make some money off his writing because this productive this time period for it. It's oddly it's the the last ten years of his life. That's what sucks. Is that uh, that's when he finally fin- starts making the money. Finally, here on the back, yeah, it's like the Giants. They start playing in the fourth quarter. Um, but uh, he's making a little bit of money off the writings. But he's certainly ever making the millions that his estimated net worth has become. Uh, mm-hmm. Lovecraft. I thought this was worth noting here because uh, I am a writing major from uh, my college days. I did. Uh, I did. Uh, two, what, uh, I, I think I'm one. What am I? I'm a four credit lab science class uh, course away from having associates at Brookdale in writing. <laughs> but uh, I thought this was uh, quite telling of the uh, the temperament of writers, is that Lovecraft would submit a piece, get rejected, uh, you know, and then write something else. Now, any successful writer would know that if you believe in the piece you submit, you have to have the confidence to shop it to several publishers. And you can't get discouraged, um, discouraged rather, when uh, it gets rejected. Now, what he would do is he would pick one publisher, send them the work, and if they denied it, then he would abandon the work. So... In this weird way, he's actually he's built up this massive library, you know, just off of his uh, of just he, rejected manuscripts. Yeah, he pretended like he had an indifference to being rejected, but really it killed him. So he, if a work got rejected once, he couldn't bear the idea that it was going to get rejected again. Is that fair to say? I actually don't. I've heard differently. I've heard that he would like submit it to someplace, and then they would say we like it, but like, one example would be like, 
they would give him some notes and they'd say, make For these an, changes. And bail. No, well, then he would just send them the, the same exact thing. <laughs> and then they would, be, they would just assume he made the changes. I've, I heard that. And, uh, Writers I know, and editors are uh, water and oil, man. Yeah. I mean, it's wild. Though. And I know that he shopped around for at the Mountains of Madness. Like, it took him mm-hmm. five years to find a buyer for that. So he did stick to that. So I don't know where you're getting that from. But uh, Wikipedia. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it also says here that uh, he um, he used to party at the Theta Nu Sigma. Uh, <laughs> 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 no. uh, uh, Wikipedia is great. I have donated. But it was a weird thing because he uh, what they specifically talked about was his perceived indifference to criticism but it also just would destroy him when somebody didn't like his work yeah i think lovecraft was very much about maintaining a, a certain uh a, um you know the image you know uh, he, image was very important to him and being seen as an intellect and highborn as we keep saying but um it's very possible that maybe it rattled him i don't know it's interesting to think what, what how much of lovecraft's uh public persona was a posture and what the real person was. Well, there's a lot of people who think I'm successful in comedy. Let me tell you, it's not quite as good as it seems. No. <laughs> there's some people who think I'm a good filmmaker. That's <laughs> I've seen your work. I know you're actually good at what you do. Was, uh, and I have I and also as well. Found, I also found some stuff, too, that you know, he would submit things to, like, Weird Tales, which was a major uh, pulp. We didn't get to that. Thank you. Still going to this day. And uh, it would be rejected, but it was being rejected by an editor that he was at odds with and it wasn't until after his you know Lovecraft's death that all of a sudden these same things that were rejected once are now being published in in that same that same publication that mm. uh, you know after his death was, well maybe we ought to go back and take a look at that again you know and you could be too far ahead of your time as it. we covered right right um yeah weird tales is funny too because also the science fiction genre in general is really big on um nerds uh um inventing ways to have themselves interact with very attractive women. So yeah. well, almost all the covers of the weird, weird tales we saw, it was always like a very heavily chested woman, uh, yeah. you know, that's uh, you know, wrapped up in like tentacles or something like that, that the guy has to try to save or something. Yeah. So it's always interesting. And I wonder, cause Lovecraft is, did Lovecraft have any sexuality in any of the stuff that he writes? Or no, it's just too depressed, say, right? No, there's just, he has a, a real aversion to sexuality in general. And like, so it's, his editor's notes were probably, "Can we get boobs in it?" <laughs> <laughs> right, right. There really so, was. It's really bereft of any sexual content. His work, like, uh, like, um, and also hope. Hope is never a topic he really covers. <laughs> <laughs> He's a sad dude, man. Yeah, it. Um, it's it's uh, and you know something interesting about Lovecraft is that there really is a whole lot of himself in his work. You know, like, and and it really, like, like his work really is a reflection of him. Even though, as I said, I don't think he's not like the best writer, and that's kind of the consensus that he he wasn't really a great writer, but definitely he's putting a lot of himself in it. Uh, it makes me feel bad. It's like you put so much of yourself, and it's still just kind of this right. kind of inert. Like it's just <laughs> right. stories are all the same. They all are just like this mounting thing, and it reveal, and then the guy goes insane. It's all the same. But um, it's Shyamalan. there's so much of him in, the, in his work, and um, one of it is is this kind of absence of sexuality, which, as we spoke about with his marriage with Sonia, like it, it didn't seem like he was interested in sex very much at all. No, uh, and again, it all comes back to just the very peculiar relationships he had for throughout his entire life. I mean, um, and the fact that he never sees his wife again, too, is kind of a big deal like we talked about. But uh, mm-hmm. I did think it was worth mentioning here as well that uh, because of the way that he's writing, there is this outpouring of work. He's almost, you know, uh, uh, the way, the tempo that he's cranking out this work at is pretty much incredible. 
despite this litany of work, though, Lovecraft is unable to make ends meet and lived off his depleting inheritance. Uh, he would often even sit in the dark at night and lived off of expired cat food. Oh, yeah. Well, that, that happens after his aunt uh, Lillian dies. Mm-hmm. So him and his aunt Annie have to move to, uh, to another tiny apartment. A lot of tiny apartments in Lovecraft's life. Yeah, except for when he's uh, in Providence, that's the the larger house, right? Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. But Lillian apparently dies, and then that leads to another downturn in his life, and the, yeah, and um, he apparently uh, he his sickness actually starts to come into play at this point in his life as well. Yeah, which uh, yeah. I, I thought was interesting that he calls his sickness uh, the grip, right? Yeah, G R I P P E, and um, it's actually uh, was it small intestine cancer? Oh yeah. So, yeah, he thought he'd give it a cute little name. Sort of <laughs> right. turns. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, turns out it's the thing that ends up killing him. Oof. Uh, well, um, he's uh, he's not a healthy guy to begin with. He's living off of this expired cat food, like we talked about. And then um, I'm not sure if it was cat food. I got cat food. As Did one you of the hear things. cat yeah, food? That was a uh, goodness. That me. was a, be- a more reliable source than some of the other places I grabbed. But it was um, definitely. I'll put it to you this way: it doesn't quite matter. Um, what the deal is he's the guy's malnutrition yeah he wasn't oh, yeah. stopping at Whole Foods it's <laughs> no <laughs> sniper shot Larry I like that yeah. um, well uh, not for nothing here uh, he's he's having dark times but he's still keeping up with his letter writing and uh, this leads to um, uh, the suicide of his longtime friend who was a frequent correspondent with him uh, Robert E. Howard Cahoon off the top of your head you know anything about him no, no not at all he was the inventor of Conan the Barbarian what? Yep. Yeah. And, and now, uh, I might be wrong on this one, but I thought it made some sense that since the two of them were buddies uh, and they probably read each other's work, do you think that Conan almost exists as a hero in the uh, Cthulhu mythos? That's interesting. Uh, I don't. It's. Uh, I don't think so because I mean I I read. Uh, no, did, I think did he also did did uh, Robert E. Howard write the John Carter of Mars as well? Or was that somebody else? That I'm not sure. Yeah, I think uh, you I think you might be right on that. Yeah, um, because I didn't read Conan, but I read the John Carter uh, trilogy. So, and the John Carter trilogy doesn't really fit in. If it's the same, it may maybe I'm not sure. I actually don't know if Conan. I actually doubt it. I, I've never heard that Conan exists in the Cthulhu mythos. It was interesting to me that they were contemporaries, though, because uh, I actually watched, I started trying to watch the other day the Conan the Barbarian movie, the first one with uh, Schwarzenegger, and I believe the first 40 minutes of dialogue for Schwarzenegger is, (laughs) it's just just him fighting stuff, and there's no, I think he has like maybe one or two lines, but uh, yeah, it's pretty wild. But uh, there is a um, – that is a depressing story to start off with. I mean, the guy gets uh, – his, his village and his family all get killed in front of him. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I, I did wonder if they ever compared notes because, again, you give a great premise, like this weird you know, world that uh, Lovecraft is able to create, and then you can just run off of that. Because I can't tell you how many times writing jokes for a writing project or something like that for uh, – whether it be a roast or whatever, or even for the show sometimes – spitballing with each other you get some of the best ideas out of that so I was always curious about that one here yeah I mean I don't think Conan would make a good Lovecraftian protagonist no which is why you wonder if he borrowed from it to uh, because again there's another very very famous person who uh, uh, a couple of his his images are hanging up in this very studio um, that also gets cast as a uh, um, loosely associated to the Cthulhu mythos thing and then also as we talked about we keep mentioning Ghostbusters here Ghostbusters the reason it worked they said 
was because it was using four funny guys, you know, comedy, to uh, take the piss out of the sting of the Lovecraft horrors. Yeah. I feel a similar way about Kevin Smith's dogma. Like Ooh. I actually think that that is, a, but that's not exactly Lovecraftian because he's, but it is like these kind of just kind of slackers who in, in face up against cosmic factors, you know. And so while it's not, it's obviously very Christian and dogma, but it is cosmic forces. Oh, but yeah. then there's these like kind of just. Uh, slubby characters you know clumsily making their way through this world of greater forces that so in a way a, Dogma could be considered Lovecraftian and uh, and yeah that's interesting too, wait you said he was taking the piss out of what he would write so like uh, like the, it was said like the example I'll use is this one man. yeah so <laughs> yeah so choose your destroyer come on it's right. pretty good there but uh, now the example I'll try to give on this one is that I remember as a kid I would get uh, I have a very uh, and you back me up on this one LP um, I have probably I think too much. Is that fair to say? Uh, we've often thought that perhaps <laughs> you're a deep thinker. Yes, Kevin. Um, so the problem is, is that uh, I also have a very active imagination, which meant that I could play with GI Joes underneath, uh, you know, a fold-out couch or something, and have the time of my life down there. But at the same time, if I saw a horror movie trailer as a little kid, it would scare the bejesus out of me. And Anyone I would, in particular? Uh, you're going to laugh too, because uh, the one movie that actually made me laugh a little bit at it, that made me feel better was, uh, remember when um, Tales of the Crypt came out with Bordello of Blood with Dennis Miller? The uh, the, the image of, because it's all these scary vampires in the trailer, and then Dennis Miller walks in with a super soaker full of holy water and just goes, I'm home! <laughs> and I just, I laughed at it, and it was the first time I was like, oh wow, I'm not, like I was scared shitless a second ago, and you gave me that laugh, and we, so you, you built tension oh, up with really. me, and I, I've always loved that, so that's why yeah. Ghostbusters worked, because you felt like the good guys are going to win out in the end, they're cracking jokes while the world is ending, it's kind of, you know, yeah. there's a sense of levity to it. That wasn't such a chore, now was it? <laughs> Actually, laughter is considered very good banishing in, uh, in, in, in the occult. No shit. Yeah. So it does seem to pair, I, and I was actually just thinking about how it is kind of, it just, it, you wouldn't think it would be apropos to pair comedy with Lovecraftian horror, but they do go together quite nicely somehow. It's an and opposite I think it's a track it, thing, man. And it might, it could well be. And yeah, but no, laughter is a very good way to, you know, because I didn't, maybe I should have mentioned it at the beginning, but like Lovecraft was actually a way that I got into the occult. And I, I, I do, I'm, I'm, in, I'm a practicing ritual occultist. Uh, we figured it out the, when your chair started levitating during the episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, we, when he asked me, are you the key master? I had some questions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, um, but we can talk about that towards the end or whenever. But, like, yeah, is it, laughter is a good way to dispel kind of negative uh, spiritual influence. No, and, and that's been uh, my, my big thing. Uh, that's why uh, even just you can feel the laughter is completely absent from the Lovecraft uh, kind of scope, if you will. So to bring that in there, holy shit, was that necessary, man? Yeah, um, uh, although he did, uh, technically, Herbert West Reanimator, I think, was written as a comedy, although I didn't know about that until long after I read it, because it doesn't read like a comedy, which is a, Herbert West Reanimator being a guy who, it's about a guy who, like, he's a scientist who... It's a Lovecraft work, correct? Yes. Okay. And uh, it's about a guy who tries to reanimate dead corpses, and uh, it, it, it's, it doesn't. And that's basically it. It doesn't. It, but somehow that's funny. And another <laughs> one, uh, uh, Death Becomes Her, another dark comedy. So <laughs> dark comedies are very fun. I enjoy those. Frankenstein. That, one of the greatest. Uh, walk this way. <laughs> um, hmm, nice knockers. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but not for nothing. Um, you know, 
the creator of Conan the Barbarian, Robert E. Howard, commits suicide, and that pretty much destroys Lovecraft's last will to live. He'd also already been diagnosed with this small intense, uh, intestine cancer, and he's refusing to see a doctor. So Lovecraft uh, unfortunately joins his creations in the great beyond on March 15th, 1937. He died relatively penniless at age 46. Um, now, I thought this was in it. We mentioned earlier, because this guy's got a second act, but it doesn't happen. March 15th? Like the Ides of March? Ooh, shit. How did I miss that? I That's <laughs> I In my head, this is how dumb I am. I just thought it was like, oof, two days before St. Pat's. He <laughs> missed out. <laughs> but uh, it was uh, it was interesting because now the second act we're going to talk about for a second, Jack, this, this last. And uh, if you guys are listening at home, we are wrapping up here, I assure you. Um, but uh, it's very interesting to me that uh, there's almost this renaissance, if you will, thanks to one of his good friends, August Derleth. Mm-hmm. Now, I... Stop. Step in the second I get something wrong here. But uh, Derleth is um, kind of a hack writer. They never really said he had any. He didn't have much going in sense of, uh, but he appreciated the art form. Mm-hmm. So now, he, you want to talk about a good friend? This guy's a good friend. Mm-hmm. He actually starts putting out, uh, he funds, uh, I believe it's actually named um, Arkham House Publishers which is a term he borrowed from Arkham Asylum, which was within the Lovecraft universe, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyone know a particular superhero that maybe perhaps is uh, the, you know, the... Arkham the... Asylum is from Lovecraft? Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Are you serious? This was, I was yeah. so excited. Yeah. <laughs> this is our kahuna jaw drop moment. Right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's about the only thing Batman really draws from Lovecraft, because I don't think Batman is super Lovecraftian, generally speaking. But no. they do they did take that name from the Lovecraft mythos. It's probably a tribute, right? Uh, definitely a little. Because, uh, again, Gotham, dark and dreary kind of a place, no hope, and you're introducing hope. So, again, another thing that's absent from the Lovecraft scope that you're bringing in, Ghostbusters works. I think Batman yeah. worked. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Batman worked? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So Derleth uh, in 1939 creates Arkham House Publishers. He puts out volumes and volumes of Lovecraft's work, and he is taking a hit on it, by the way, because mm-hmm. he keeps saying, he goes, no, you guys got to read my boy's work here. He did great stuff. He's dead now, but trust me, you don't want to miss out on this. Mm-hmm. And nobody really gives a shit. Uh, it's kind of bombing. Um, I believe uh, he was rejected from majority of uh, uh, any other sort of uh, publications. And there was something about he wrote to the Times about it, and they just weren't interested at all. However, um, he starts having some of the volumes of Lovecraft's work translated into other languages. Mm-hmm. And uh, the French, in post-war France, they dig his shit. They're big on him. Yeah. So. They like Poe. They liked Edgar Allan Poe exactly. a lot. So they, they, and Lovecraft being, I guess, uh, the, next the successor to mm-hmm. Poe would probably, th- that is similar style. That he Which is really, weird. You know, Such a, a happy, you know, go-lucky people like the French huh. to... Um, to find it again, these are people who uh, are suffering through World War One, which the French troops went through the worst shit, arguably, um, and then World War Two when France was literally occupied by the Nazis. And so maybe there is a, a, a relief in a sense of doom and gloom. Maybe there is a familiarity with it. But mm. they got big on it, man. Mm-hmm. They loved him, and now Lovecraft is. Uh, that's the first hit with his uh, literature. Is that right, Jack? Uh, yeah, I would definitely say. Yeah, and it's a shame that it happened uh, after he died. Well, that's most great writers only get discovered after they die, unfortunately. That's why so many of them wind up on this show. But <laughs> uh, um, but uh, as we're starting to wrap up here, uh, the big hit, though, by the way, that I thought was really cool is that between uh, that success over in France and this new wave of American horror films, horror fiction now becomes a hot commodity stateside. And Lovecraft is getting recognized for his relentless brilliance. Because, dude, to create a world like this, to create gods and deities, and, I mean, he literally created his own Greek mythology. Mm. It's pretty fascinating. Yeah. Um, 
But uh, this is also, unfortunately, in true you know, writer fashion, he only starts getting a huge dedicated fan base about 35 years right. after he after died. His, after his death. Yeah. So, I'm, uh, I'm kind of riding. I'm hoping that will happen. That's <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, hopefully, Someone yeah. will stumble that's on a... <laughs> my YouTube channel and be like, this was brilliant. It is interesting. <laughs> and, you know, th- there is something to the idea that, like, he, it, it wasn't him as a writer that that's so great, but it's the subject matter. Totally. And it's like these ideas are a lot bigger than him, and other people have done better things with them. And you know, you mentioned earlier that like Houdini was going to employ Lovecraft, who was a staunch atheist materialist, uh, to combat the spiritualist movement right. at the time. But you know, he's gone on to become this kind of uh, big figure in the occult world you know as i mentioned i he's related to how i got into the occult it was actually i i, I was interested in lovecraft for a long time and i mentioned to somebody talking about lovecraft and this guy sent me this like string of videos on the occult tangentially related to uh lovecraft and that that it was that conversation that kind of put me down this kind of whirlwind of uh of 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 magic and stuff and so and he, he's very popular in occult circles and there's even a lot of I, – I don't want to go too much onto this. You could almost do a part <laughs> two on this. But there is something weird with Lovecraft is that there's, some, there's this idea that he – people – there are, there, are, there are people who insist that he was an unconscious medium or channeler of real things. Whoa. And they say that these entities and names and places, while he probably was consciously writing fiction – he probably was unconsciously channeling some, they say this, that he was unconsciously channeling real things, that these were, that a lot of these things are real in a certain way. And I don't know if like, you know, it's a little bit, that's, that's a, little, that's a bit much. a little much. bit out there, yeah. but that's, that's a bit crazy. much to swallow. However, Alistair Crowley, are you familiar with him? We, well, uh, it, just to give context for the show here, we, uh, when I, cause Jack's a friend of mine, I wanted to have him on the show. And I said, is there anybody you'd be interested in covering? And he said, Alistair Crowley. I said, we only do Americans on this show. <laughs> you understand me. Yeah, but and then he, he pivoted to Lovecraft, which is this one of our, this one's out there, but I'm, I'm digging the very weird, strange vibes we're doing on this show. Yeah. But hit me with Crowley. So basically, okay, in Call of Cthulhu, in that story, there's, uh, in he, Lovecraft was very particular about dates and times and places. Um, and in, in Call of Cthulhu, there's, he, you know, it's it's basically it's sort of like Dracula. It's a composite of various like newspaper articles and journal entries and cool. all that stuff. And one of them is dated um, October thirty first, nineteen oh seven. There was some ritual that took place in Louisiana, involving a, a you know various people. The, the you know uh, this cult doing this elaborate sacrifice and orgy centered on this Cthulhu statue. And, uh, and I like to always picture that at least one person's just there for the orgy. Well, I believe whatever you tell me, I get my hands on them titties. <laughs> what the fuck is that yeah. statue? But apparently, apparently, um, he uh, Crowley uh, was writing his holy books at that same time. Uh, that was over the course of three days. It was October thirtieth, October thirty first, November first, but uh, in nineteen oh seven. So, uh, you know, Call of Cthulhu was published in 1924, but he was writing about 1907. And that was the day 
like Crowley apparently claims that he was writing in a white heat, you know, just just it came out of him. It was right. just automatic diction. And he was also once known as the uh, the wickedest man in the world. I believe yeah. that was one of his he titles. Called himself the Beast and to yeah. align himself with the thing from the Book of Revelations. But um, yeah, so um, and in those holy books, there is reference. There's a name that's re- Tutulu is mentioned in uh, the uh, the holy book. And uh, there's mention of a god with a fish head and tentacles. And there's also very little evidence. Admiral Akbar. Yeah. And in all of Lovecraft's letters, it, it's not clear that he knew about Crowley. And as we said, Lovecraft wrote over 100,000 letters. And it doesn't seem like he knew about Crowley. So it's a very interesting idea. It's a, some people, there, it's an odd coincidence. Like Tutulu, fish-headed god with this tentacles. This is cool. Yeah, That's yeah. <laughs> and there's other ones. There's a whole uh, litany of other coincidences that I just I, I don't we I don't want to hijack the podcast on. But uh, no, uh, if you there are guests that talk, and then sometimes you'll hear me and my father start to rattle our papers. I'm like, all right, let's see. Okay. <laughs> but if you can pay attention, uh, you probably could have heard a pin drop the last five minutes here. But <laughs> yeah, it's um, yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot more there, and. Uh, but I, I, I have to. I didn't. I didn't have time to. Re- you could do a part two on that, though. This fucking guy is going to come in here and tell us. He goes, "Oh, I didn't have time to do this research." There's <laughs> ten pages of typed out notes in front of you, Jack. I know. Give yourself a, a little credit, are, bud. Th- yeah, but there's. Um, they aren't all on that particular area. Like I, that was something that I just barely scratched the surface of. But uh, your own Lovecraft podcast. Now, yeah. I, I, I like that we're doing the. Uh, he probably could, by the way. I think Jack would be great at Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Um, but not for nothing. We are at the uh, the ninety minute mark, so I do want to start to wrap up. You came in with notes, brother. So if you got anything else, uh, I want you to hit us with it. LP, did we miss anything that you wanted to hit? Because you always do good research as well. Well, just in one other Jersey connection. Of no course. shit. <laughs> are you serious? Part two, yeah, baby. Yeah, part yeah, two. Yeah. And then I, I'm gonna we're gonna probably end on me saying how I found out about Cthulhu, and then uh, we'll get out of here. There was uh, a work that was written by uh, Lovecraft called The Shunned House. It was a horror fiction novelette uh, that he uh, wrote in 1924, and although the the, the shunned house, of, its title is based on an actual house in Providence, Rhode Island, he was inspired by it by a house that was in Elizabeth, New Jersey, that one of his aunts uh, lived there briefly as a companion uh, to a Mrs. H. C. Babbitt, um, but when he came upon this house in Elizabeth, New Jersey, it kind of jogged his mind back to a house that he saw in Providence, Rhode Island. And anyhow, he wrote he wrote the shunned house based on uh, an, an impulse or uh, uh, just a you know an inspiration, if you will, from a house that he saw in our own uh, Elizabeth, New Jersey, on, on Bridge Street and Elizabeth Avenue. So a terrible old house. He wrote Lovecraft's own words were on the northeast corner of Bridge Street and Elizabeth Avenue is a terrible old house, a hellish place where night black deeds must have been done in the early 1700s with a blackish unpainted surface, unnatural steep roof, and an outside flight of stairs. Now he's setting the whole setting the whole scene for this uh, the shunned house. Nevermore. Nevermore. Um, <laughs> um, not for nothing, like we said, the reason that we're going to call him a loser, it's pretty obvious. Um, but again, becoming famous 35 years after you're dead, that's probably the, the big crux of it for uh, on the loser scale, if you will. But um, not for nothing. Jack, did you have anything else you want to hit with? Also, I want you to hit plugs, buddy. Promo while you're here. 
Yeah, um, I've so I think I've covered pretty much everything that I want to talk about. I mean, obviously there is the whole. There's a lot of there's the Crowley connection, and he is connected to a lot of weird stuff. Like there was a. You don't say. <laughs> but he was connected to like. Yeah, Kahuna's sleeping with the lights on tonight, but he. Uh, it's 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 it. It's beyond the scope of this podcast at the moment to go into the weird. The, the, like he seems to have been kind of through not good or bad fortune but seems to tangentially connected to a lot of weird stuff like there was a lot of nazi occultism that was going on that like and apparently there's a overlap there but i have to research that a bit more but there is stuff like that crowley thing isn't the only thing it's 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 weird and uh but as for um plugs you know i'm on instagram i don't know what my instagram handle is i think it's at jack St- <laughs> jack steiger uh i'm on remember we talked earlier about uh, how to take that next step in your comedy career yeah i know <laughs> but it's like I'm, I'm, I'm too busy reading weird fiction to be on social media <laughs> like uh um but uh yeah i've got a podcast called the steiger tapes um which uh you can find currently on youtube i'm gonna try to like get get it on but i have a few episodes on soundcloud but i ran out of money <laughs> it's uh I, yeah it, it winds up being worth it to put it out to oh keep yeah it on there yeah. yeah i just but i i ran out of money that's <laughs> I, I, I you don't understand i was um as penniless as lovecraft like uh, <laughs> up until you, recently yeah are you eating old cat food or? <laughs> uh, not to that point yet no i uh, i i I, w- I would literally just fast rather than eat cat food <laughs> um but uh the uh no, although I am, I am, I do have a very spooky life. As I said, I practice magic, so it isn't super. Uh, it's uh, there so, is a, there are parallels between me and Lovecraft, actually. Crippling fear, anxiety, afraid constantly. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, racism. Uh, yeah, but, <laughs> yeah. That's why it has. That's why when he came in here, he didn't say hello to me. That's uh, <laughs> <laughs> obviously obviously we're kidding about that. Jack's one of the nicest people I know, to be quite honest. Um, keep going, though, man. I didn't mean to derail you. Yeah, the Steiger tapes. I'm on Instagram at Jack Steiger. Uh, I'm on Facebook, um, and uh, that's oh shows. Um, so um, there's a show that uh, at the Old Glory. I don't know what's called. It's the Waldo Doe Show or something. The Doe Show. Cool. At the Old Glory in Keyport, New Jersey. And uh, that's hosted by Waldo Maldonado, and uh, I'm very grateful to be on that. Polish kid. Yeah, December twenty, <laughs> December twenty sixth. Uh, so uh, day after Christmas, you got nothing going on. Come to that, you cucks. Uh, <laughs> um, and then there's a show, uh, the headliner in Neptune. It's the Laugh Till You Cry comedy show. Uh, that's um, I'm hosting that. That's got a few. Uh, few people on it i forget who they are though <laughs> see I, I i'm not i'm not the i think i'm a good comic i just i just i know uh, for a fact you're a good comic but we gotta learn we gotta work on your promo shit yeah, um. yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll, do you have show notes like is there like a uh, is there like a section the summary of the podcast you can put all these things in there I'm yeah not i'm good it, at this it, there's no problem i'm, I'm gonna tell people i'm gonna tag you and all this stuff for everything here and uh, if you do get a chance to see jack he is one of my favorites he's got a wild style that i enjoy as you probably saw on display here already um lp anything you want to take us home with no i think that's uh, pretty much it for old uh, lovecraft there he's uh, quite the, quite the character and i think he, there's no debate on this episode, as it was, he really a loser, or wasn't he? A loser? <laughs> no, this man was a loser. <laughs> yeah, sometimes we sneak stuff in because we want to talk about somebody weird that way. But oh, the way that February seventh, I... I just remembered. <laughs> 
I have another show. I have a mat. Oh, this is the show I actually host. <laughs> uh, February 7th uh, at the Beach House Brewery. Which is a great gig, by the way. Yeah. I was very excited to be a part of that one. A cool venue, good beers, and um, that, honestly, a really great crowd. So that was a blast to be on that one. Yeah, but. I do it with Angelo Gingerelli and Joey Brazada. It's uh, yeah, great big venue. And we get a good lineup every time. So if you're down the Jersey Shore area, come check that one out. Uh, I'll plug some stuff on that one for the show as well. Um, I do want to come back for that one, too, because that was a good time. I told Joe I'd swing by any time. But uh, that being said, guys, the way that I found out about Lovecraft, first of all, there was a bar in Manhattan, I think Uh on the lower west side, called uh, H.P. Lovecraft's. And that was a pretty cool place because they had a lot of like the weird art that's associated with him in there. Because mm-hmm. a lot of these people try to draw these creatures that he came up with. And it gets spooky, especially when you're in yeah. the bathroom and there's a giant tentacled you know, claw with teeth coming at you. <laughs> um, but uh, very interesting stuff there. Now, the way that I found out about uh, Lovecraft was through Cthulhu because it appeared on a three-arc episode of South Park. Oh, yeah. And uh, it was Cartman was using Cthulhu to kill Justin Bieber. And uh, that's how I found out about that's, all this. Yeah, that's the thing about Cthulhu is that, like, I actually don't love the end, the, 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 the character Cthulhu. It's, as I mentioned in the start of the podcast, like, the thing I like about Lovecraft's, like, entities and deities and all that, they look so alien, generally speaking. But Cthulhu is very, you know, it, it, it's humanoid outline. And yes, it does have a head of an octopus. And yeah, like, it looks like Andy thing. Lawson. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like not exactly, uh, it doesn't look super alien. Like it just looks like a weird chimera of terrestrial animals. Well, that can also be based on what you've seen as far as artwork is concerned. Or is that the way he described it? That's really how he described it. And he actually did draw it. He actually had, drew the statue of Cthulhu. There is a sketch that exists that Lovecraft himself drew. So we have authorial intent there. So but Cthulhu kind of lends itself to... Like, there's plush toys of Cthulhu. You know, it's like... <laughs> it's, it's very not, weird. Yeah. It's yeah. not yeah. like... It, it, it's And, you know, as it, going back to that idea, it seems like people reflexively want to counter this the 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 stark terror of the of the cthulhu mythos by diminutizing it you know making it laughing at it you know making it cute and putting it in south park making cartoons about it make it a tickle me elmo uh stuffed animal it's yeah Yeah. there's (laughs) no which is kind of a magical act in a way like it's like you're you're i'm a harbinger of the apocalypse (laughs) (laughs) yeah on this episode of sesame street (laughs) there is one more thing i wanted to i'm not sure if i should mention it it's a weird thing it's super weird but I'm a weird guy. Hit me, bud, because you're, you're, by the way, this is one of our more fast, like we always enjoy the episode um, and it's more of a history thing. This is a departure, but in a very cool way. This is an offbeat episode in a positive yeah. way. Yeah. I'm sorry, I had to pause to like reflect if I should say it. So, okay. You might want to edit this out, but this is kind of crazy. So I mentioned that I'm- an, Pay attention to the minute marker. I'm an, I'm an occult magician. And I, last night I have like, you know, I do weird things. Like, I'll pray at night before I go to bed, too, for certain things. So, like, I have exceptional recollection of my dreams, and I have vivid dreams, and I'm always praying. And a lot of times I'll pray to somebody to show up in my dreams, and they'll show up. And I'll ask them to show me things, and they will. And last night, I asked a a particular psychopomp, who's actually a saint, um, if I, I asked to be taken to Howard Phillips Lovecraft. And I had a kind of long meandering dream, but there was one part that had to do with like, uh, it was like this weird abstraction. I was like in this place where we were seeing a lot of different planets and there was this guy at a table and he was, 
he he was wearing like a mask. Like he was dressed in black and he had a black mask, and he 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 was like sitting at a table and he had his head in his hands and he he seemed to be experiencing. I got and I got a sense he was experiencing profound regret. And as I was doing my finalizing my notes for the podcast, I was looking over at like you know. I saw he was friends with a guy named Samuel Loveman, and then I got this like hit of like deja vu. Whoa! Yeah, like this kind of sense of like, and then I, it, it hit me like it's like the the recurrence of the name Love. Like it was like this weird coincidence in his like his last name was Lovecraft, like Love, and then there was this, he was friends with this guy, this Jewish poet named Samuel Loveman. Quietly, who had the name uh, Love. Quietly a gay guy, right? Apparently, yeah. yeah. And so I got this, like, it was like this weird, just kind of, this thought kind of just came into my head. It's like, he, Lovecraft was supposed to focus on love, and he didn't. And right now, he's regretting it in the afterlife, where, wherever he is. And that's something that kind of hit me today. As I, I, I don't know, I'm not sure if that was worth mentioning, but I kind of asked before I left here if I should mention that, and I got it kind of okay to do it. So I don't know. I'm glad you did. Yeah. That's yeah. A- <laughs> I know that might out me as like a kind of a weirdo. But. Hey, no, it's yeah. uh, uh, I guarantee you this is now my cousin Pammy's favorite episode of the show. Oh, that so. right? oh <laughs> my god! Yeah, yeah. She's a regular listener too, Can man. Can we do a sequel to this with her and him in the room? That would be great. Now you two should meet each other. Very uh, um, interested in a lot of the similar stuff. Um, but yeah. the universe would implode. You could definitely do a part two. I'm not trying to like insist on myself to get myself. <laughs> I'm not. This isn't me being a traveling salesman putting my foot in the door. Um, but you could absolutely do a part two, and it would would be a much weirder episode, and it would have to do with like his connections to the occult world that he had no idea about, but that right. existed he around wasn't actively him. Actively trying to uh, yeah. make inroads into the occult, but. No, there's so many tie-ins with it. No. Well, but, if you want to, buddy, because I'm, I'm serious, I uh, I am free the next. Uh, you know, I don't. I got nothing going on during the day right now for a while. So, hmm. if you wanted to do a companion piece to this on the Steiger tapes, mm-hmm. I could easily figure out how we could do that. That yeah, I would. I would be open. If for you want to come here, I'll do it on. I'll no, seriously, I'll do it on my time. Oh, nice. I'll, yeah, I don't care. I'll need some time to prep for that because it really is. There's a dearth. There's a. There's quite a bit of information on that. So I'll. Uh, but yeah. Well, all we did was write a research paper, buddy. This is obviously <laughs> years you've put. So that's why I'm, I'm very happy to cede the microphone to you on any time when you get Because you get some very, uh, I mean, shit, I was never going to come up with here on this. Because what we do is we try to give people um, an idea of the person. And then uh, it's mm-hmm. fun to bring in people who are passionate about it. So mm-hmm. that part's pretty well. That being said, though, my listeners are going to start to complain about the length of the episode if we don't wrap soon. So ah, did you, no, you could, it ain't you, pal. It ain't you. Um, but that being said, uh, guys, if you are in if First of all, I want to say thank you to Mike and Ming over to Shared Universe Podcast Studio. Thank you to the listeners. We have not had an episode out in a little while. It's because of the holidays. Schedules have been a little bit wild. Uh, I was doing a little too much stand-up for a while. Now I'm not doing any at all. So uh, it's kind of a weird thing that way. But uh, we got the episode come back out. This should be coming out Tuesday leading into uh, the Christmas uh, season. So we're going to try to uh, use some of this downtime to get a couple more episodes uh, just uh, on the back burner so that we can keep firing them off on a regular, consistent basis. I want to say thank you to everybody who has left a written review, a written review on our iTunes account. You have no idea how much that helps. It helps bolster us up in the standings. We are seeing the results of that, by the way, guys, because episodes that we've done months and even uh, a couple that we did a a year ago uh, are showing up again uh, as getting more and more popular because they're showing up in search results for things like the Molly Maguires or things like, you know, uh, Custer. So... 
that being said, guys, thank you so much for everything you're doing. Uh, check me out at KPBurkSucks on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, my Twitter's boring. I'm cleaning it out because I uh, we have something big coming up, and I have to hide my background. Not that I have any skeletons in my closet, but I'm not taking any chances in the you know 2020. But uh, that being said, guys, thank you so much for listening to the show. Check us out at American Loser Podcast on Instagram. And, guys, my name was KP Burke. That was H.P. Lovecraft, American Loser. An American Loser, the day I was born. An American Loser, the day I was born. An American Loser, the day I was born.